1: What's happening, weirdos? Uh, Some sad news here up top. A wonderful person and comedian and a friend of mine from New York City has gone um, missing. Uh, There's a Facebook page if you want to check it out, just in case uh, she she went missing from New York City. Her name is Jawan Lee. Uh, If you type that into Facebook, her page will come up. It's J-I-W-O-N. L-E-E. She's just a a wonderful person, and uh, I know me and the entire comedy community and everybody that knows her is uh, hoping and praying for her safe return. So please take a moment to go to that page, and if you have any tips or any information to help, all the information is there. Uh, That being said, um, this is a great episode. I sincerely hope you enjoy it. Brian Stack is a wonderful, wonderful comedian and improviser and writer for Conan for, I think, 16 years. We talk about that a bit. And just one of the sweetest and most present, gentle kind wonderful people that i know i i can't oversell it you'll hear in this episode he's just a he's just a tree of a man just a great guy so glad he took the time to come in and uh and talk with me here's the uh sponsor this is also a dream come true this is a show featuring mostly my friends i mean kumail tj middle ditch we got zach Martin Starr, uh, I'm not as close with, but I mean, pretty much everybody on this show is somebody that I know and love and am a big fan of. So please check out Silicon Valley. It's the new HBO comedy series from the incredible Mike Judge, uh, you know, from Beavis and Butthead, uh, Office Space, just so many wonderful things. It already premiered on Sunday, April 6th. That means it's on HBO Go if you want to check it out. It's on Sundays at 10 p.m. It's a new half-hour comedy that takes viewers inside the world of tech startups set in the high-tech goal old rush of modern day silicon valley where people most qualified to succeed are the least capable of handling success it's kind of like the social network but a comedy I'm adding my own little things here, (laughs) because I watched it, and I loved it. Partially inspired by Judge's own experiences as a Silicon Valley engineer in the late 80s, the series charts the rising fortunes of an introverted computer programmer, Thomas Middleditch, and his friends after a bidding war erupts between the founder of a large tech company and a wealthy venture capitalist over their valuable compression algorithm. Silicon Valley features, we already said this, Middleditch, Miller, Zach Woods, Nanjiani, Josh Brenner, Amanda Crew, and more. Watch it. This is serious. Uh, they are our sponsors. This is serious. But what I mean is, it's sincere. Check out Silicon Valley Sundays at ten on HBO. So many guests of the show are on it. It's pretty much a you made it weird endorsed endeavor. Top to tails. Uh, enjoy the episode, guys. Brian Stack.
0: Congratulations again on the show. Man. Sit down, really Brian. Great.
1: You son of a bitch. <laughs> Listen,
0: I'm, I'm just real happy for you, man. And it's really, it's so cool to watch. You like to see people like Eliza and you know these people just. You know, seeing you interact with people like that is just really fun and, like...
1: Oh, sure. Show, but... oh, were you there for the Liza Schlesinger? Schlesinger? No, no, Liza Skinner. Liza Skinner. I, yeah, she's... Like, I don't know
0: Liza Schlesinger. I know her comedy, but, and she's yeah. very funny, but... Yeah, Liza Skinner, uh, it was just fun to see. Because I'd never seen her do stand up before, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, wasn't like, that fun? I, yeah, it was fun. It's such a weird
1: uh, and unique... Res- uh, I was going to say responsibility, but to kind of, like... You know, you have a show now that you can put people on, whereas before, you know, just like not that long ago, you're trying to do uh, those shows, right? you know what I mean? And now every time we have a stand-up on, I'm always like, oh, this is like a huge thrill, this is like a, a weird role reversal for me, and we get to pick these people to have on the show like Eliza, who's super funny and you know, other friends that I'm trying to get on and stuff. It's it's wild. Yeah, it's cool to be in that position. You yeah, know. it must feel for the a most part, strange. Yeah, for they... the most part it's JP. Uh, oh, you know, yeah, he of books course. it. Yeah, but yeah. like also, you know, I guess it does go through me to a certain extent, but it's super, super wild, but also kinda of daunting. Like you think about it sometimes when like uh other T V hosts would go to the improv over on Hollywood and stuff and they'd watch and they would always be this sort of like, Oh, maybe maybe I it still doesn't compute in the least that someone would be like,
0: oh, maybe uh, old Holmes will see me. You know what I mean? That that's actually <laughs> that's a that's kind of a tough position to be in too, because you have a lot of friends who, it's like, hey, you know, yeah, when am I gonna get my shot? Yeah, and sure. That, yeah, there must be. I guess it makes it a little easier that you, at least you have a booker who is well, like, well, yeah. he's the one who does it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that
1: is true. Even even with a friend that, like, I was just like, oh, this guy would be great. I'd love to uh, have his debut, late night debut be on our show. It's still like, see if you can make a set with JP. Because honestly, like, the brain is pretty fried. I, I Like, you can't even, like give yourself that responsibility being like, and I'll also see if I can find five minutes in your 30 minutes that would be perfect for TV, or you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, you wouldn't even have time or energy to do it. Yeah, because well, I know Conan can't do it either. Well, that's, that's... I don't even think Conan... Uh, how does he even watch the sets? That's the thing. I'm watching from my... I don't have a desk, but I'm over in my area, and I'm seeing the sets, and they're... It, it's like a, a break, you know what I mean? Like, I'll watch them often after... And during it's it's hard to
0: focus. I really don't know what his process is for that. I think um, it's got to be pretend to listen. I'm, I'm not I'm not shitting on him. No, I think you, it's got to be pretend to. listen. I always was assuming he was listening, but maybe you're right. Maybe that's a much needed just I, I don't time know. Out. Yeah. I,
1: I think so. Yeah. Anytime one uh, of you guys is doing a bit, I have to think that that's an opportunity for him to just be like, time to look at my water. That's probably true. I don't know. I think about it. Yeah, I can only I can only speak from myself, and I'm shocked at how much people. I, I'm already at the point now. I don't know how we got onto me, Brian. This is terrible. Oh, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I brought it up, and I'm interested. So, yeah. well, you're <laughs> a sweet, sweet man. <laughs> I'm guy. already at the point where there are people that have been on the show that I wouldn't uh, recognize if I saw them. Oh, it's yeah, a weird yeah. life.
0: Conan, I, I know the times to has it. to be told if a musical guest has been on before, or yeah, sure, you know, because it's been so many shows. You know, it's just like, uh, and I'm sure it's going to be the same way for you. I mean, it already probably is. You know, it
1: is because we're doing so many back to back.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. We
1: do three episodes a day, three times a week, so we do nine a week. So on Monday, uh, or I should say on Friday, I don't remember who was on Monday. It's just the nature of
0: the beast. Oh, yeah, I can totally. <laughs> I don't see how it could be any other way. You know?
1: Well, you, it's interesting to me because you, uh, this is kind of a strange place to start. I'd love to start with how funny you are. I oh, think. Thanks, that, man. <laughs> I mean, a lot coming from you, honestly. Oh, you're so, that's so fucking weird. I thought you were hilarious for like a decade. I used oh, to man, see you thanks. in New York and stuff. So it should not mean a lot coming from me. It does. It does. <laughs>
0: Anytime someone really funny says something like that to you, it, it, it's great to hear you. yeah I appreciate but, uh, that
1: you're you're such an anomaly uh, to be uh, I guess anybody would be like you're such a nice guy but like and that's obvious you're, you are like a nice
0: person oh thanks
1: are thanks. you reconciled with that are you okay with being you're like I am nice you can I own think that.
0: it's kind of like just sort of the way I'm wired to just I'm inclined to be that way you know yeah. I, to, I think it's like it's funny that most of the people I know in comedy are, are pretty nice, you know, in general. Like, it's, I'm usually shocked when someone... Is a dick. Yeah, and, yeah. like, it, it does happen, and sometimes they're really funny people, and sometimes they're not funny at all. And sure. But it's just, I don't think it's, there's any real relationship between the two.
1: I wonder if there is. It would be interesting to hypothesize that there would. Like It's kind of like, I don't know, if we were to do that. As a, as a yeah. thought experiment, I think there is something to be said about your life and your creativity being like a river, right? And if it's flowing and if it's moving, almost like a healthy body, uh-huh. like a, a nice person, a, a positive person, a present person, a kind person, is probably not too many obstructions in their in their water. I we're gonna now. Mark Marin is a good friend of mine, and I'm talking uh-huh. about unhappy Mark back right, in the day. Right. Still hilarious. Lot of pain. Uh but that that's already been proven that pain can be quite funny. But here we are, I'm gonna say that also that that flow, that sunlight, that sort of things are coming in and out
0: of you yeah. not obstructing your creativity can also be funny. That would be a new theory. No, I think it's an interesting theory too to see how like and I know he talks a lot on his podcast about yeah. how he ends up apologizing to people. Yeah, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> about oh that time I did that thing or why he's never had John Stewart on or whatever. Right. Sure. <laughs> and uh <laughs> But it's funny because I used to hear stories about about Mario. I don't know him personally at all. Yeah. Uh But um, I always enjoyed when he would come on Conan because he's a great talker. You know, mm-hmm. he's just always an interesting guy to listen to. But I never felt like I just go over and talk to him. Like I like you're you're very right. approachable. You right. Right. But um, I, yeah, I it's funny. Some funny people you feel like you could go talk to. David tells another guy I've always admired a lot, but I saw him on the picket line during the writer strike, and I was like, I can't just go over and. Start talking to David. <laughs> that's really As much funny. much I like to, I don't feel. Maybe he'd be perfectly fine to do that too. But there's some people you just are like, I think I'm going to leave them alone. Well, you know? <laughs> what what are we refining when we're
1: making our stuff? You know what I mean? I think maybe that's one of the reasons why you and Conan are such a perfect uh, fit. You know what I mean? Conan is trying to. I think he said pretty famously, make comedy that's not against. People, but it's kind of with people, and uh-huh. you seem to have that. Certainly, as an improviser, have that mentality as well. Guys like Old Marin. I think Marin's changed a little bit. Uh, That's what I hear. Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, I actually think he's pretty sweet right now. <laughs> yeah, he seems to come
0: across that way, especially now that he's like apparently in a really good relationship and stuff. Yeah, like, I that think that he is in a good relationship, <laughs> and I
1: also think it, it, it he. Uh, I asked Mar- Marin the uh, the the core of what he was extracting his creativity from and he he said something like uh, I'm here he yelled, "I'm here!" And now that a lot of people are going, like, "We see you there." Yeah, yeah. I think he's calmed down. I think that's helped me calm down too. There's an urgency before you find the, your slot, and I'm not even talking about the talk show. That certainly has helped out even further. I'm talking about just kind of finding your community of yeah. friends and and your own little voice.
0: Yeah, uh, helps. I think I think so because I think everybody's like, I think especially when you're you feel like you're struggling too. Like I, I think most comedians. You're coming from a point of low self-esteem a lot of times, where you're you're at a, a, you get a little validation, you start to relax a little bit. Yes. And like, it's have, a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just how a lot of us are wired to more some more than others. But it know? can
1: also be corrosive. I, I've I've said this uh, many times on the on the show because I think it's funny uh, that I have to apologize for it. But I I think Sinbad's very funny, and Sinbad said comedians are funnier when they're taking the bus. So there's something about <laughs> maintaining. How long have you been writing uh, for Conan?
0: God, this, at the end of this month, it'll be 17 years, which is Ooh, really hard to believe. You've been in high school. <laughs> <Woo-hoo>, <laughs> um, that is nuts! It's crazy, because I still... It's funny, because in a lot of ways, I, like when Letterman was retiring and everything, th- this week when he announced it, yeah. I still kind of... There's still a part of my brain that thinks of Conan as one of the new guys, even though he's been doing it 21 years. Sure. I remember when he was starting and Letterman was the late night host. So uh, Hmm. there's still a part of my brain that thinks of him as as a new guy. (laughs) And we'll meet people like in Dallas this week that... Never remember him not being a host. Of course, so it's really an interesting perspective. They were all,
1: for, they were his Letterman.
0: Yeah, exactly. Even they don't more even, so. Yeah, they don't remember late night with with Letterman. And, sure, uh, that was such a big part of my college years and stuff. And of
1: course, yeah. well, you you got to see uh, uh, that whole sort of him taking it in a completely new direction. Whereas I think Conan t- took the ball that Letterman. I think he would admit Letterman kind of shattered the form a little bit, and yeah. all the current guys right now took that ball and ran a different way with it. You know what I mean? But it seemed to be a lot more straight-laced, and then he all of a sudden is, you know, hitting Paul in the, in the head with a baseball bat, that sort of stuff.
0: Yeah, stuff that was very... Like, a lot of people use the term anti-talk show. Yeah. And uh, I think he... I didn't realize until just recent years how much he openly acknowledges the influence of Steve Allen, too, not to mm. get into too much history here. No, please. More people with But uh, I didn't realize how Steve Allen did a lot of really ironic... Leg, oh, you know, I didn't cheek, either.
1: So. That's what's fi- that's crazy, man. Well, I never
0: saw any of Steve Allen shows except like clips with Kerouac or something, so I didn't know. And Dave, Dave, uh, you know, is very Dave. I'm calling him Dave. Yeah, please, Dave- <laughs> 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 Old yeah, Old, D Train. Um, no, no, he would, uh, he would. <laughs> it's funny how familiar you get with these guys that you've of never course. met.
1: Well, it goes back to you. You would go up and say Letterman might be terrifying, but you would go up and say hi to Conan. And you know that for a fact. People yeah. do. Yeah. The, these guys that come into your homes every day uh-huh. and you look at them almost as friends, you know what I mean? Yeah. Your friend, you, even, uh, you know, Leno, I know there's bad blood with all of us, and, and uh, Leno, I suppose, I, I include myself <laughs> in that struggle. <laughs> with me, too, now that I'm in the TBS family. But, you know, right. being close to Conan. Uh, even, even seeing somebody like them and you're like, that's somebody you say hello to as if you've known them for a really long time. All of those guys. Craig, I could have said Ferguson. It's the you, same thing. Yeah. I'd be like, hello.
0: Yeah. He doesn't they, know who, you from Adam. Yeah. You feel like, you know, people, I felt, like I used to feel the same way about people I'd watch even on local Chicago stages. Like yeah. I'd be like, I remember going up to Steve Carell in a seven 11 parking lot when I, before <laughs> I worked at second city myself long before. And I just remember going, yeah. Ah, uh-huh. you're really awesome. <laughs> you know, I was just like, just a fan kid, you know? And he couldn't have been nicer, and he still yeah. is. He's another guy, I heard him on Fresh Air. He's always, he said he's a little surprised when people m- remark that he's a nice guy, because he's like, well, everybody should be nice. You know, yeah. Not to sound corny about it, but it's just like, it's kind of like the way he's wired to be. And yep. he's like, um, and he hasn't changed a bit, you know, with, is with that all right? his fame and everything. I get, he was always a nice guy in Chicago. He was always... Kind of a guy that everybody idolized on a local level. And mm-hmm. it's cool when someone breaks into the international <laughs> sphere. That
1: I way. totally know what you mean. I did that with TJ Jagodowski. Oh, I, I remember seeing yeah. TJ
0: and being real, like, hello. <laughs> yeah, I see people react. <laughs> and I remember TJ being the new kid. So, yeah. like, TJ, everybody's just like, oh, there's this new kid in the box office. He's a real nice guy in yeah. Second City. And and then Tammy Sager was the first person to tell me how hilarious he was. Because yeah. I'd never seen a pro- He goes, yeah, he's yeah. brilliant. Yeah, and- yeah. That kid, and I'm like, oh, the nice kid in the box office is brilliant. Yeah, okay, that's yeah. Yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah, he's like the man in Chicago now, and yeah, and it has been for a long time. And he probably, I think if he hadn't had like his health issues like Vertigo and stuff, he'd be that, known to a lot more people. But I know through the Sonic commercials, a lot of people see him. He's so, the guy yeah. in the Sonic
1: commercials, which is, is a strange uh, claim to fame. But I'm just so, whenever I see them, I never feel anything accurate or negative. I'm always just like, oh. go go get it. They're funny and go get it.
0: Yeah, and Peter Gross, <laughs> I love both those guys. <laughs> They're both so. great Chicago guys. Yeah, yeah. And then,
1: yeah. and then so, But Jagodowski. Uh, I'd love to have him on the show, actually. Oh, yeah, so yeah. So funny, so brilliant. Uh, in in the sa- I'm not just bringing this to you in the same way that I've watched you as an improviser and been like, what is going on here? Oh, thanks, man. Deal with it. <laughs> Deal with it. <laughs> I, I appreciate Accept that. It. Deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> but I would see him. He's got that added level of folklore. Is TJ was like, oh, he would have been on SNL. He would have done this. He would have done that if it weren't for he had vertigo. Which, to be honest, is even kind of like, I, I it's weird to say. It's an interesting disease, but it's like a good story. It's like a Paul Bunyan. You know, he'd do more if he if he didn't have vertigo. And like, I don't even quite
0: understand what he... No one does! <laughs> he described it once as like that the whole world flipped upside down, went to a pinpoint, and then came back. And I, I it that sounded terrifying. Terrible. You know? That I, sounds terrible. And it's so unfair, you know, when someone that, you know, genuinely of a good guy and a hilarious guy is stricken with that. Not that right. you wish it on anybody, but... No, no, it's, no. Uh, but he's, he's so happy in Chicago... Doing his thing, and he gets to go to New York and do his right. show with Dave Pasquazi, who was my first big hero in Chicago. TJ and Dave, yeah, Dave was kind of the the guy I latched onto when I was taking beginner classes. And uh, really, yeah, he was the guy. I was like, that's who I want. I want to be like that guy. Yeah. That's nuts. And, uh,
1: did you study with him, or did you study? Who did you study with, Dell? I did
0: study a little with Dell, yeah. yeah, he. um... He in fact there's this really embarrassing uh video on YouTube if you ever wanna if you wanna uh Google Dell Close nineteen eighty six. When I was a college intern I did an interview with him when I was beginning improv student and it turned out in black and white because I had the camera set on monitor. Uh, <laughs> but uh there's an interview with Dell that I did when I was a beginner that you I did it. Yeah, I did no it when, way. and my voiceover is so embarrassing I'm like, Are you a comedy fan? It was a, <laughs> just the word. But um but Dell yeah, I did study with Dell in Chicago and he was a as intimidating as he could be, he was also, you know, a brilliant guru. And, and yeah. you know, he changed, com- Amy Poehler once said, uh, he's the most famous man in comedy that nobody knows. And mm. I think that's one of those truisms because he had such a huge impact on people like Bill Murray and mm. Harold Ramis and John Candy and Gilda Radner and all these people. But, um, you know his role, I think he kind of accepted in his later years that his role was to be a guru and not to be famous himself, hmm. but I think early on he really wanted to be as famous as people oh, sh- he came up with like Mike Nichols when stuff. you see him in
1: like Ferris Bueller, that I think is your proof. It's like, oh, this is also a man going out for auditions and and trying to be in films, and you know succeeding in the case of Ferris Bueller but uh, you know like he wanted and stuff. When you said no one knew him, I thought you meant no one really knew him. You mean the public doesn't know him.
0: That's what I think Amy was that, okay. and, that, and I think, I don't even feel like I ever really got to know him as a person. He was always kind of more like a guru uh, figure for well, most wa- of us. the
1: water goes over that stone, you know what I mean? Like, But like what happens to that? It's an interesting position, you it know is. what I mean? To be like, I'll teach these other people. <laughs> you just mentioned yeah. five incredibly, and Amy included, uh, incredible comedians. That, uh, I mean, the legends that you were saying, John Candy, Bill Murray, and oh, all that yeah. sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, you, you send them on their way, you pack their lunch a little bit.
0: Yeah, and you look at guys like Adam McKay and and the UCB people, they're always very open in having the Dell Close Marathon every year to right. to pay tribute to him because they're like, we want people to know who Dell was, even if they never met him. Or, right, or if he's not living. And also, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, like, and people that... Are studying at UCB now are really getting an extension of Dell's ideas. So I think he's living on through the people he's taught, which is great. That's certainly true. But he came out to L.A. once to try to really make a go of it as an actor, and he came back after a while (laughs) kind of saying, "Um, I realize uh, that you really do need an automotive vehicle to make a go of it in uh, Los Angeles. So anyway, let's get back on stage. And he, that was about all he said when he came back. It was like, because Del couldn't drive. Everybody what? drove him around Chicago, you know. And the he the to drive in Chicago. He didn't drive in Chicago. He never drove. To my is... knowledge, he never had a license. In, oh uh, my God. And it, his whole... <laughs> like Chicago's a just a small town. That's a spread out place too. I know. What is this man doing? He used to have like, uh, Sharna would have one of the students drive him around. And really? He would have like sort of a keeper, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I have to imagine with each graduating class
1: it becomes easier to become sort of like a Mr. Burns figure like a reclusive legendary you know what I mean like you studied with him you're interviewing him and stuff but then you go off and then comes these new guys and then they meet him and he has an opportunity they really revere him they're coming at at him from a place of reverence and then it could even make you weirder and weirder and weirder you never studied with him right no I just missed him he he passed uh, just before I got there well I got there in 2001 so he died
0: died in 99 yeah. yeah he
1: died two years earlier. And I actually resented it because I, everyone at that time was like, yeah, he's good. He's no Dell. You know what I mean? Whoever was teaching me.
0: I And this is no disrespect to Dell, but I honestly think the best improv teacher director I've ever seen is Mick Napier. Oh, oh really? The, he's, he's, the he's Annoyance actually, Theater. Yeah. Well, there, there wouldn't have been a Mick without Dell, but Mick's the best I've ever seen at combining all the different qualities. And he just directed the newest Second City show. And The first Second City show I saw was directed by Mick Napier. And he was one of those
1: guys that I went up to and you know, TJ Jagodowski to him. I, Steve Carell at Seven Eleven to him. In that, oh, I was wow. like, and this is kind of like the internet w- was working, but it wasn't like easy to Google image search. The fact that I knew what Napier looked like made me feel cool, and I was like, Ugh, like really shitting my pants. And he was super cool.
0: He is. He lived in he my dorm su- floor in college. <laughs> It's crazy. He's the one that told me about Improv Olympic. and No uh, way. I never had the guts to audition for his improv group when I was in college, but I used to go see them, and it was like Joe Bill and Faith Holloway and all these people. And Mick Nabier lived on your street. He lived uh, on my on dorm your, on floor. On your dorm floor. And he had a. He was the most original and funny person I'd ever met up to that point, and he's still one of the funniest people I've ever known. He had a hamster named Jesus H. Christ, and uh, he would play Dead Kennedys. All this stuff I had no experience with. And he took it to see Rockery Horror Picture Show, which it was his 50th time. It was my first time. And uh, he was a truly original, and he still is. uh, And you watch, there's a documentary called Second to None that was made in 96 when I was still working at Second City that that follows a show Mick directed, From the first day rehearsal till opening night, it had Tina Fey and Kevin Dorff and Rachel Dratch. And I would highly recommend it to anybody that wants to see the process of how they develop shows there. At Second Uh, City? Yeah. So it's a little
1: bit, just to give the viewers, uh, listeners, a a taste is the idea that you you would improvise, right? Were you in a Second City review?
0: I was, yeah. I did three in the ETC space, which is the second stage. Of course. And then uh, before I got um, offered the job at late night... um, I was in the touring company for two years and then I did three shows in ETC. Yes. I never did a main stage show because I went I went off to late night in ninety seven. Those um, sons
1: of bitches. I know uh for a fact TJ Miller it's still uh uh you know, he's not mad about it, but it's one of those things that he he was elusive to him. A main
0: stage show. I it, it, it uh I used to love to do show we would do our uh touring company show on Monday nights in the main stage yeah. and it, I I had my level one class in there, too, and it it really, as corny as it sounds, every time I walked in there, it was kind of like walking into the Vatican or something.
1: What we're missing, what we crave, one of the things that I think we crave as a species is ritual, is is something sacred, and I'm not talking about in a churchy way, I'm just talking about, it is a little bit churchy, those places that mean something, that you pour over texts and dream about, and weird guys on your dorm floor like Mick tell you about them, and they build up in your brain, and then they become hallowed ground before you've ever stepped foot in them, you know what I mean?
0: I mean, absolutely. That's how it felt to me. Yeah. I knew who had come through there even before I'd ever set yeah. foot in there. You know, the, all the people I grew up idolizing, like Bill Murray and I, Belushi and Ackroyd yeah. and all those people and all the SCTV people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, so. So just uh,
1: having the class there was yeah, it amazing.
0: Was, and and it was such a huge thing. And it was really, you know, exciting to. And I always dreamed of working there. I never thought I would. But um, it was. I'm grateful I got a chance to work there a bit
1: yeah so well let's back it up because i didn't even know you did second city so you're in college with (laughs) mcnapier yeah yeah (laughs) and and did you know you're you're one of those jobs uh i have i have a sense of how things come about but let's tell the people (laughs) let's tell the people you're in college did you know that's more interesting to me than who spotted you did you know you wanted to do comedy
0: i always was a huge obsessive comedy fan it never occurred to me that i could do it myself really, even though I would do it among my friends, like I would repeat routines I saw and really Python voices like a lot of comedy nerds. Starting when? Oh, even back in like when I was in junior high, like I would do (laughs) I would I would I would this is makes me sound really old, but I used to audio cassette shows before we had a VCR. Yeah, sure. And I so I had all the SNLs and SCTVs and faulty towers and uh, you know, all that stuff in my head. And right. I, would re- I would go over routines I love the way kids do today, but you've got the internet. Right. Know, to- but I wonder if that participation that you had with it, just having the audio,
1: really made you like a master of it. You really had to remember in your imagination what was happening at that moment and this moment. And just getting the audio you know like the way a deaf person's vision might be sharper you know because it's all they got you're getting just the audio and being like becoming a master of imagining that sort of stuff that's a really
0: interesting question that I, I never thought about that but it could be it, it may have actually helped with developing uh vocal dialects and stuff. Yeah. I've always loved doing voiceover stuff as yeah. much as anything. Yeah. So it may have subconsciously like actually gotten in my head. That's one of the reasons I think I've always loved just doing voice stuff. Yeah. You know, that's not even on camera cause, um and I I think I was always, you know, a huge comedy fan, but uh I think the reason I had a hard time auditioning for Mix group in college, he would he would encourage me to come audition and I would go see them and I just but I was so mad at myself for chickening out in college that when he told me about Improv Olympic, I'm like, I got to try this, you know? Yeah.
1: Do you remember yeah. why you, as you said, chickened out or
0: just didn't do it? <laughs> I think it was just pure fear of uh, not, of having it not work out. Like, And where,
1: where, I don't mean to, <laughs> I don't want to on you and like, I'm not trying to no, dig no, to some please. nerve or anything. Not that that's what he does, but I'm just, why is it? I'll give you an example. One of the reasons why I don't like doing things is because I want to do them
0: well. That was it. <laughs> that was it right on the head <laughs> yeah I was afraid of, of not being good at something I loved yeah. I loved comedy so much I didn't yeah. want to be Just, I didn't want to go up there and not be good at something I love yeah. as a, an observer isn't that crazy so, and it is it's a,
1: it's a performing thing and yeah. I think a lot of people probably relate to that you have this reverence for it especially I almost feel like now maybe not more than ever but certainly now as much as ever people being comedy nerds and having a respect for the thing so you love stand-up and you see great stand-up and then the the big catch 22 is you have to suck for at least five
0: years i know and nobody (laughs) tells you that when you're starting because like you're like (laughs) you you get up and you think i have to be great right away or i'm gonna quit and 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 you will and they do yeah and And i think that's a shame too because i i I remember seeing a a stand-up at Shuba's in, in Chicago many years ago. And he was really funny and like Steven Reitish and yeah, I think his name was Tim Reinhardt. I never met him. I just remember thinking, this guy's got great stuff and he's probably going to quit. Yeah. Because it wasn't going over and he wasn't the kind of confident, blustery guy yeah. that was going to. And I'm like, oh, man, don't. I, if I'd had confidence myself at the time, I would have told him, stick with it, man. Yeah. But, but I think that was it. I was just afraid of being bad at something I loved. Yep. And then I finally. Um, I but, it's, a,
1: but it saddened you. Yeah. That sort of coal was put inside of you. Like a hot coal was put on your other coals and just <laughs> well, waited.
0: Well I knew from watching Make Speech, I was like, that looks like so much fun. I know I'd love it. If I <laughs> if I was good at it, I know I'd love it. That's not a question. It's a question of w- will I suck at it. That was the only question in my head. So um Mick told me about Improv Olympic and I took this beginner class with Sharina Helper and um Back when Improv Olympic was much more small and cult like, you know. know. Dell was like it was basically just Sharna, beginner class, and then you took Dell. There wasn't like five levels. And, and that's that the stuff.
1: that's the I.O. that I read about. I I don't resent I.o either, but I also missed out because by the time I got there I was one of like fifteen classes, or what, oh, you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah. There were fifteen level ones, which I understand. There's a, people who think you're popular, but then I used to hear the tell of like we didn't even have a space. There was no space, right? It was just
0: like we were kind of a gypsy organization. We would move around. <laughs> like um, I remember, we showed up for class once, and it would be padlocked because the place hadn't paid their taxes or something. <laughs> and then you'd move to. We'd be like, oh, "Well, I guess we're going to do it at this Italian restaurant this week." And oh then, my gosh! And then they finally found their own place in like '95, uh, but. um... Yeah, it was a very gypsy, cult-like organization. Did
1: that that feel cool at the time? Because often things that sound cool now at the time weren't actually that cool. Did you feel like, why isn't this cooler? Or or were you like, I'm part of
0: something? It felt very... I, I remember loving it so much right away. But I remember thinking it was almost like loving a cult band that you love and you don't expect everybody to go for it Yeah, like, but you're like I love this so much I'm surprised other people don't feel that same way but yeah. you've seen enough things that only a small number of people like right. that you're like well that's this is just one of those things
1: I just keep yeah. hearing this over and over as you again I don't mean to be sappy but following your bliss this was giving you bliss that you was... knew in your mind that you would love it Yeah. and then you were loving it and you didn't have any sort of agenda Like, I'm all for goal setting and understanding, like, where you'd like to end up or whatever, but it seems to me like you were like, I want to do some, I want to do some live comedy. I want to, almost even apart from the audience, I bet you're the kind of guy, you just want to create a great
0: scene with your partner. That was really. I remember the the first scene I did in my first class with Sharna, It really was love at first scene. (laughs) I swear to God, I was like, I'm in, I'm in. I I may never, I don't ever expect to get any money for this, even five dollars. Yeah, but I'm in. This is (laughs) what was was, it? Please tell me. I just remember it was like a roommate scene, and some my roommate had been drunk, and we ended up talking about what happened at the party and. And I love just the thrill of discovering the scene as we went, yeah. and I was like, I w- it was a variation on what you hear from all the people that really love it, and yeah. I also hear from my stand-up friends that feeling of, you just feel like you're, you're home, as corny yeah. as that sounds. You're yeah. just like, I'm I'm in, and the first performing I actually did, though, Sharna was going to put me on a team that summer, but I had committed to going to grad school at University of Wisconsin uh, that fall in Madison, and... I was like, oh, man, I just found this thing I love, and I'm mm. I'm committed to going to grad school. And then, by sheer luck, there was a theater, the Arc Theater in Madison. In Madison. Well, that was where I did my first performing. Okay. And Chris Farley was in my first group there. Shut actually. your I mouth. I swear to God. You shut up every day. He was from Madison. I knew uh, that,
1: yeah. I've done a benefit or two with his brother in Madison. Oh, yeah, with yeah, Kevin? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, he, yeah. He would host it. I, it's not like I know him, but he, we would go up because I live in Chicago. Not too far.
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but he, please, you were in Madison. And yeah, well there was this theater there the Arc and I was like, you know what? I'm so mad at myself for Chicken out for mixed group. I'm going to audition for this uh, I had heard they were having auditions for the an improv group at the Arc, mm. um, a new one they were starting up that so, um,
1: give, What around what time is this? It's probably This would the have been 88
0: fall of 86 uh when I got to Madison and, and Go on. No, it's okay. Yeah, that, that was when it was. I'm just curious about, so it's it's catching on, this
1: idea. Improv isn't exactly on everybody's lips, you know what I mean? It was
0: unusual. Mick, Mick's group was, I don't remember hearing a lot of college campuses having groups the way Mick had his group at mm-hmm. IU, at Indiana, uh, and now I'm surprised when a college doesn't have an improv group, right? at, But which is great, but uh, at the time, I don't remember hearing people talk about their improv groups in college. So
1: you you know? going to Madison and the fact that they have a team looking for a team is unbelievable.
0: They already had a theater too. Yeah. It was um uh and uh <laughs> it was it was pretty amazing like Jeff Kahn who ended up writing on Ben Stiller's show and mm-hmm. stuff like that. He was he had been there before. I was in Holly Wartel who ended up going off to Second City and Joan Cusack and some of these other people had been in the arc before we got up there. <laughs> and um they had a little theater. It was now it's a laundromat, sadly, but uh, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but it was a nice little garage. It would have been a garage, and it should be going the other way.
1: Laundromat should be coming theaters. No, well, that'd be <laughs> nice. Going the other
0: way. Well, comedy sports used to kick our ass in terms of getting audiences. They were right on campus, and they always mm. got these great crowds. But we got we got loyal crowds that would come back every week. Small crowds, but uh, open but, rehearsals. Or are you just doing regular shows? We were doing. Uh, we would get together and, and kind of work over improv exercise and stuff. And then we would, we did a lot of short form stuff actually with a lot of audience interaction, kind of like Whose Line Is It Anyway yeah. stuff. Like comedy sports. Yeah, very much, but not without all the uh, competitive aspect where oh, there weren't I two see. teams. I see. It was more like just one group doing it. And uh, it was really obvious, even for as a beginner, which I was, that Chris was just very special. You yeah. Know? Everybody recognized it. Like you go into a, a bar after rehearsal and i remember him making this middle-aged couple in a a bar laugh so hard i'll never forget this because the guy was falling off his stool crying and chris was doing this dance with the guy's wife like saying cat eyes cat eyes and he was going like come back to me put you know stuff i can't yeah he was doing a dance moves with her and you know he moved like a swan for a big guy like he moved like a ballet dancer and and uh i remember the guy saying what's your name I've never laughed like this. I just want to remember your name. What's your... like no. Even regular people, you know, you, you just recognize that there was something special yeah, about it. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It didn't take a connoisseur to go, like, what is happening? No, it was just
0: universally yeah. uh, hilarious on a gut level yeah. and a heart level. Like, yeah. everybody was just like... And so I wasn't surprised when he, he left uh, Madison a year before I did, but by the time I got back, he was he was kind of on a lightning track, you know, mm. which he deserved to be. Dell put him in the main stage... Almost immediately, like I think he toured for about a month, and Dell wanted to put Dave Pesquese, Tim Meadows, and Farley in the main stage. Main stage at I.O.? Oh. At Second City, I'm at sorry. At Second City, oh. Yeah, because Chris... I didn't know
1: Dell ran Second
0: City. He, he was a big director at Second City, uh, he had been a cast member at Second City in the early 60s, mm. went to San Francisco to form the committee, which was kind of a... At the height of the hippie movement, mm-hmm. um, and then it's he such came a back.
1: Perfect name for the for the improv group
0: at the height of the hippie movement. The, I know. the committee. Well, he did light shows for Ken Kesey and no. the Grateful Dead. No. He he uh, he was a real folklore character. Like he, he was he hung out with uh, like he. I think he might have met Manson. Like, really, he knew a lot of the freaks, you know, That's and because so cool. he was one of them. <laughs> yeah, and then he came back to Chicago, and they, he direct, He discovered uh, he was the one. Like Belushi called him his biggest influence in comedy because mm. he directed those shows in the early seventies. Okay, but then he had a falling out there because of he had had so many problems with addiction and stuff like mm-hmm. that, and um, that was. But he came back to Second City in the late eighties to. Direct just in time. again, just in time. Yeah, and he put and he put and he put uh, Chris and he said, "All right, I'll direct." Uh, one condition: I want Farley, Pasquazi, and Meadows, and that was his condition for no, directing the Mainstay show. Shut
1: your mouth with this story. They
0: they were it was really something to watch. You it's know, so to, great. I I used to go see the shows all the time. And do you remember the name of that review? That was the Gods Must Be Lazy, <laughs> um, which was uh, a great show. And uh, I still
1: Chris, remember the photo. Chris is doing. Uh, Matt, oh, Fo- Matt, Foley. Matt Foley, Tim is lo- Tim Meadows is looking very normal, like kind of like plain faced Yeah,
0: Odenkirk I mean? was in the I think it was the second or third show Chris did there because mm. Bob was writing at SNL already, but he had come back for the summer and Tom Giannis asked him to be part of the main stage cast, mm-hmm. um, and he developed Matt Foley the Matt Foley scene with Chris, mm-hmm. and as f- hilarious as it was on SNL, I have honestly never in my life seen anything devastate a room full of people the way that scene did the first time i saw it at second city like no way like a room full of people just breathlessly falling out of there and his <laughs> friend matt foley was there that night he was a catholic <laughs> priest who had gone he was on chris's rugby team in college and uh, he would change the names of a lot of his characters for friends in the audience yeah like, and he decided to be matt foley that night because he was in the audience yeah and um but yeah he was just one of those <laughs> he'd change the names yeah That's he would so change the fun. names he did that once for me once, which was really incredibly sweet of him. I was in the front row with like with my friends or family and yeah. he was doing this male stripper scene and he comes and he goes, How you doing, Brian Stack? Like <laughs> he introduced himself as and I was like, Oh, that's so nice of him to Because uh-huh. he would do that just for people that he would spot you in the audience and just like uh-huh. do stuff. And that was um he was just that kind of guy, you know, just very big hearted. It's and, uh,
1: great. Uh, yeah, and yeah. it kind of goes back to what we were talking about, the, the niceness, the, the, the flow sort of thing. Farley also uh, admittedly had some pain in his life as well. Yeah, yeah, You know, everyone likes when Fatty falls down. I think it's one of the sadder things I've heard
0: him say. Well, I think that was... Heard I think him that, say, read that he said. Well, I think it was a shame that um, as funny as he was as a physical comedian, mm. it, it did bum me out later when I would see some of the stuff in film because it was such a such a small fraction of what made mm. him funny and i think they just had him do it because they knew that they'd seen him do it but he would he was a real natural actor like he mm. did really subtle stuff at second city that would just break your heart you know yeah it had nothing to do with his size right i saw him do a scene with tim meadows and jill talley that was just had really subtle acting and i think he could have he could have really shown and shown that in uh the if he got chance, yeah, stuff yeah. where he was would have been allowed to really act. You know? he was
1: about to before he passed. The
0: David Mamet, I think,
1: wrote a Fatty Arbuckle I, movie.
0: That's what I heard. And he was he was you know gunning,
1: gunning for the role, or they were gunning for him for the role.
0: And I heard he was supposed to be Shrek, and uh, oh, he was supposed yeah. to be the voice of Shrek. And and uh, I think it, that that yeah, I'm grateful that we had him as long as we did because he was so funny, and yeah. I'm glad a lot of it's preserved on on. Uh, video and stuff, but he uh he had so much more he could have done and yeah. by the way I heard Eric Stone Street's doing that Fatty Airbuckle movie I think. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know so, that. Yeah, we'll see how that I think. Oh, that'll, that'll be, be cool. great.
1: He's very funny.
0: It's an incredibly tragic story. Yeah, but uh sure. a guy who was at the top he was as big as Tom Cruise, George Clooney combined, like in terms of box office. No before way. that scandal hit, I guess he was I'm he was the richest guy.
1: Candle. Tell me,
0: what's the candle? Well, he—I guess he had a house party. He was the top box office star in the in the world, um, and he was—he made more money than anybody. And then there was a party where a woman was assaulted. Uh, I think she might have actually even died. I'm trying to remember. He mm. had nothing to do with it, but he got charged uh, because it was his house. I and don't I don't know all the details, but I know he—he he was exonerated, but it ruined his career. No, even though he had nothing to do with it, he was so associated with it. Sure, that. It just you know, so it it sounds like it'd be a powerful movie. You yeah, know? but it, you know, I wish Chris could have done stuff like that. You sure,
1: know? of course. It's so interesting. I don't know where where going back to where it came from for him, but also let, I, I do want to keep it on on you a little bit. Oh. I, I will talk <laughs> well, about thanks. Farley. I, I appreciate you being uh, willing to talk about that sort of stuff. But do you remember around this time starting to get a sense of like, hey, I'm decent at this, or or even going back to we're in Madison and we're at that small theater and being like. That those first couple times going out and 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 rehearsing and that first, I'm if you're anything like me, you you remember those first scenes, like your Absolutely. roommate scene, that first real like, hey, it was my choice that got us to that wonderful place, or or you know together, you weren't like showboating, but like, do you remember some of those moments?
0: I do. I remember. I'm very grateful at our first night when we went up with the art group in Madison that it that the first night went well because. That was so huge because I I think if the first night had gone badly, I might have been one of those guys who's like, well, wasn't meant to be, you know, but but I'm so glad the first night went well because that kept me going and and I, I loved it right away and I've loved it ever since that's with the bill watterson
1: bait. story where he went out trying to get calvin and Hobbes. uh oh i'm sorry this is gary larson trying to get the far side syndicated uh went out on the road because he was tired of not getting any letters back for all his submissions goes out on the road i can't tell the story enough goes out on that. the road pitching him live to newspapers uh finally right at the end one of them bites and buys his strip uh you know his panel cartoon and he was so thrilled goes home the day after he left, apparently, or while he was gone, all these rejection letters came in. And he was like, if I had wow. gotten the rejection letters, I definitely, he was like, maybe, he was like, I definitely wouldn't. It was like 15 rejections. I,
0: I find it hard to believe he was ever rejected right? by anything. But yep. I, he's like one of my heroes, you know, so that, I had never heard that story. Isn't that it's great? Amazing. So if
1: you, all these things, you know what I mean? That first scene with the, the roommate scene and getting those laughs, just, it, it's unfortunate or maybe it's not unfortunate. There's the, there's a vulnerability to all of this. Yeah. And there's a sensitivity to all of us. And I'm grateful that the first time I performed, it's insane to consider, but it was all... It was mostly friends and friends of friends and family. Is that in all Chicago? The, it, this was in Boston right before I moved to Chicago. Oh, okay. But all the people that I would never want to perform for now, oh. <laughs> just because it would make me too nervous. And they were so gracious. That makes a difference. Even to this day, not that we're so far from that, little encouragement, little things that people say that you think won't matter to them still keep you going or keep you motivated and and positive and here you are first time doing that and it goes well enough to get you hooked yeah and then you have this this theater now it's not just you but a theater that gets the motivation to keep going and all these little turns where you could have checked the mail and got those rejection letters that ended ended your career i was going to say life but that's no no
0: that's how it felt yeah because it feels like it is your whole life i mean i used to live for those shows even i when I got out of, when I left Madison, went back to Chicago, I was working at an ad agency, but it was always the, sh- the weekly show or the, or the two shows a week where that would make my whole week. Yeah. And I'm sure standups feel the same way. It's where the exact it's like, same way. Yeah. yeah so you're, 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 you feel as good as your last show went. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and I always was like, I kind of envied people that could just let it roll off their back more, but right. I could, I could just glide along after a good show For, like, it's great. Yeah, you just kind of feel like you're kind of your steps lighter. You just feel like your whole world is sunnier, you know?
1: It's true. We had a great taping on Friday. And, like I said, we do three days. So, Wednesday was rough, it was uphill. Oh, okay. There's postmortems we have where we go, we did our job. And then there's ones where we go, yeah, that was amazing. You know what I mean? There's kind of those are the only two. Uh, And then since then, I have just been happier. Healthier, yep. Sleeping less. I know that's crazy, but like sometimes when I'm low, I'll sleep longer because I, why I get up, sort of thing. Not in the sad way. Just like let's go for let's go for the nine and a half. Let's go for the ten hours as opposed to like popping out an eight and being like zippity doo dah. You know, sure, what I mean? sure. Being healthier, seeing more friends, being kinder because Friday
0: was good. Yeah, I think that's just the way we're wired, and yeah. wh- it's it's uh, and you what keeps you going is you're always hoping for another one of those shows. That's right. And, yeah, and you're like. And then sometimes there'll be a dry spell where you're like, "Oh, it's been a while since I had one that really gave me that charge." Yeah,
1: but, but you're always chasing it, you know? and and <laughs> and it's a participation thing. It's like you can control what you can control, and you know that working with Conan yeah, all these yeah. years, you can write the material, and you can and you're, you're trying to manufacture a night of lovemaking. I I always make it like. Uh, about sex. I don't know what, uh, what else. No, it's a good metaphor about. for it. But love making like a night with your wife where there's candles and rose petals and chalk, and the meal is right. Has all these external things. Like what does the moon look like? Is there wind? All these things that you can't control. Yeah. You can physically have sex, but that night of lovemaking that you always remember, even though you've had sex all these other whoops, all these other times, is what we're always going for. But sometimes the audience—it's not their fault. Like the one on Wednesday got rained on. You know what I mean? So oh, we're yeah, dealing yeah. with a bunch of people that just like got a physical reminder that the universe sometimes doesn't care for them.
0: I know. <laughs> and then they have to come and watch me uh, like, and be yeah. dumb stuff that's beyond your control. You're right. Yeah. yeah, there's so many variables. You're right. Like you don't know. Sometimes there's, like, dominant personalities in the crowd, too, that are just real negative, that bring everybody down and quiet the crowd down. And
1: you know the opposite is true. Sometimes I don't know them, but I'll point to them and go, like... I don't know. Have you come before? I don't know what your deal is. You need oh, to come back.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you want to marry the... You're just yeah. like, oh, I just want to... Um, Be in yeah. my life forever. Be in Marry the show. Be in the show's life forever sort of thing. Yeah, there are those... There are, you're right. There's dominant personalities for on the good side and bad side. and yeah. they, they set the tone in the room, and yep. I can't
1: explain why. I have an idea. It's the idea that the audience and the performer... I'll, I'll make this brief. Need yeah. to merge into one thing and nobody knows this better than an Im- an improviser is that uh your group and the audience are working together and it, and uh, as you said a dominant personality usually a man who is threatened or uh grumpy or was fired or whatever blue balls I don't care what's something's wrong so he's insisting his ego over the show he's yeah. not yielding he's not bowing in the temple so he will fuck it up just like just like you would a night of lovemaking, just like you would uh, a, a marriage ceremony. Somebody saying, like, I'm not the audience, I'm Steve. Fuck you, Steve. Yeah. You, just, <laughs> you just made the audience Jill and David and Danny and Beth. You know what I mean? And I want them to be one thing with me together.
0: That's that's dead on, I right? think. Absolutely. One, but so you said on. you
1: really said it. It's one dominant personality. Like a, a fucking stick you have a potato and there's one nail in it.
0: Yeah. And the, and then there's also that whole thing of that you notice over time, like uh if you've been a performer for a while, it's like you know that second show Fridays are gonna be Yeah. Rougher and yeah. quieter and they're tired. Yeah. In fact I saw a mystery science theater once where <laughs> there were a bunch of zombies walking on the screen and one of one of the guys says Second show Friday, <laughs> and I was like, I was like, that's the most inside, but dead-on joke. <laughs> and I was like, because everybody's tired, they've had a few drinks, they're they're too tired to laugh. They're too, yeah. they're Just they're just they're just spent. They might they're really be enjoying the too, show, yeah, yeah. But they're just they're not gonna get. They don't have any energy to give you. you that's know? so funny. That's the, the Steve Martin quote too that I always mention is, "Why did you quit stand-up?" And he said, second show Friday." Oh, he did yeah. really. That's.
1: I bet you're going to jive with this too. Oh, what are you going to say about? No, Steve? no, that was that you was. Le- he's 11, another right? hero of mine. Yeah, he's a hero of mine. Going back to what you were saying about Conan uh, Letterman uh, and who was his influence? I don't want to get it wrong. Oh, Steve Allen. I was going to say Steve yeah. Allen. I'm so afraid of getting those names. <laughs> no, it's cool. You're, you're <laughs> so know. much younger. I never even saw
0: Steve Allen's show, other than hearing about it through Letterman sure. and what an influence he was.
1: Well, then I also my, my mind went right to Steve Martin, being like, oh, here's this guy who's like being kind of meta and aware that there's a show. Talking to the audience, being, I always love that he's like, how much did it costs to get in $4, you know, all that sort of stuff. Somebody influenced him as well. Yeah. We're all getting away with something. I know. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're I know. picking up, some of them are called teachers. Dell is like, yeah. here, hook your nozzles up to me and drain me of something. Uh-huh. And some of them are just things you saw. I've watched sketches of mine where I'm like, I'm doing a straight up motherfucking Jim Carrey impression
0: in the sketch. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> I'll, I, sometimes I'll be like, oh, my God, I sounded exactly like Joe Flaherty when I just said that. Yeah, that's or, right. Or I sound just like uh, William Powell from the Thin Man movies. Or, what, and it's stuff that's just soaked into in your it. brain. And, What's, yeah.
1: What are you going to do? Uh, people often point out, TJ being one of them, and me agreeing that I will often sound like TJ, TJ Miller. And I'll be like, yep, we're good friends. Oh, He's in there. He'll text me something, and I'll be like, that's such a you line. You know what I mean? You, yeah. you pay reverence. TJ is such an incredible, genius mind, and you're just like, yep, some of you has leaked into me. Like, I, I hope you are okay with it. I know he is, and I hope you know that I know that you are, an, we, what, we call that an influence. You're yeah. an influence of mine. Well,
0: it's like Bob Dylan and the Beatles where they, perfectly, they totally acknowledge that they wouldn't have done the stuff they did without each other. Right. Even though they admired each other, they were doing very different stuff. Dylan said he wouldn't have gone electric if it hadn't been for the Beatles. The yeah. Beatles wouldn't have written acoustic, yeah. introspective stuff if it had ever... So it's like, comedians do the same thing. Yeah. And it's that's obvious.
1: art. That yeah. is the mess factory of art. It, and, you know, of course, Picasso saying, like, great art is steel sort of thing. It's just that idea that everybody is observing everything. And an artist's job, I think, is to be aware yeah that, that's every every whatever your art is you're being aware in that of that thing, and when you're being aware you're going to notice what other artists are doing and that's part of your process
0: yeah you can, absolutely
1: you can sh- shield yourself of it like too like i don't watch um too many other late night monologues for fear of you know I go out and i still i want to do the string dance <laughs> you got you got Four minutes of applause. What the fuck are you supposed to do? I say that to the audience. I'm like, everything's been taken. There's nothing I can do. You you make a joke about it. But uh, you can limit your exposure to other people. But, you know, you in this conversation, the way you're talking and all that sort of stuff is influencing me on a subtle energy level that I'll that I'll carry with me for the rest of my life as is mine to you. And yeah, can, absolutely. And we can either be okay with that or we can be like I'm an original. Fuck you.
0: Well, anybody you <laughs> admire, anybody whose work you like, yeah, it's just going to have an effect whether you're conscious of it or not and uh yeah. like I always loved how Keith Richards said we were trying we were trying to sound like Chuck Berry and Muddy Waters but we were English skinny English kids. Yeah. So we we were all we were trying to do is sound exactly like them. Yeah. But yeah. we were us, so we sounded like us. Right. But everybody's trying to kind of do their heroes, you know. Right. And uh that's and you end up it evolves because because we're um we're different people, we right. sound different than them. Right. But we're trying to do them. Obviously. And
1: that's the be everything is filtered through you, your your sense of self and who you are and how you do things. This podcast, famously, we've brought up Marin a bunch, is a rip-off of Marin's. And my manager, who's very supportive, he wasn't being negative, was like, "Why? what's going to make yours different? And I said, it'll be me. Exactly. Yeah, (laughs) It's it's a completely different personality. Right. It'll be fine. Yeah. And and then when we did the late night show, people were like, what's going to make it different? It'll be me. And that's all we can do. And I don't just mean me. I just mean all of us is just... It's the great Bill Hicks quote. I can't say it enough. He says, if you're being you, no one can be you as well as you can be you. Yeah. And then you'll have supply and demand covered. Like, you're you.
0: You know I, what I mean? Absolutely. And I, I think that's one of the uh, things I've had to come to terms with, especially in in Hollywood, where you, you notice that um, ultimately they usually want a version of you. If they want you at all, they want you to be you because they've got... Somewhat Like, like let's say you do a good biker character. Yeah. Like, I, I love doing bikers and roadies and stuff. But <laughs> if they want, you know, st- I love doing characters. Yeah. But if they want to cast a biker, they're, they're going to cast a guy who plays bikers all the time. You right. know, they're going to guy, cast a guy right. who looks like a biker. Right. If you do a good old man character, they're going to cast an old man. And uh, ultimately, that seems to be, and Bob Odenkirk said something really interesting, too, which is he said, they'll let you do what they've seen you do. Oh, that's and so... I think that's,
1: I say that all the time. I say no one believes you can do it
0: until you've done it. That's it, yeah. (laughs) For a long time. Yeah, they have, they're like, oh, I didn't know. Yeah. Well, it's like when, uh, I think it's hard for a lot of comedic actors who want to stretch into dramatic roles too or something. Right. Um, So I understand. I think that's just, that's just human nature. They don't, they don't think of you that way until they see you do it.
1: That is human nature. That's how we go. We just go like, this tree has the pears on it and this guy is a a writer. Whereas, you know what I mean? You're like, I'm also an improviser, and I'm an actor, and I like doing characters, and I like doing voices. Okay, then we just look in the file and see if you've done it already. Like very exactly. few people want to go like give the the kid stays in the picture sort of stuff. It's more just like has the kid been in fifty pictures? But, right, exactly. But to that, with that, before that sounds too negative. We also live in a really wonderful time, as I was saying. A lot of those people we were talking about that are, are going to quit uh, because they don't—they're not good right away. One plague of that is also those clips go on YouTube, like their fifth time doing stand-up is on oh, YouTube. Oh, right, yeah. That's a mistake. But if you are doing stuff, you know, five years after you stop sucking, five, six, seven years, maybe you start putting some videos online, that can also help you. Because Absolutely. there's, as Bob said, there's someone we now know, we've seen what you've done.
0: You yeah, know, I, look at, I look <clears> at stuff like uh, the Human Giant guys like Aziz yeah. and Rob, I mean, just starting on YouTube, or the Derek Comedy guys like Donald Glover. and Yep. And DC and all those guys. Those are um, my two. Yeah,
1: I mean, completely th- ripped off their model. What's that? I ripped oh. off their model. I I used to say to Aziz, I was like, "How did you do this?" And he was like, "Well," <laughs> 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 and he said he he, he put him online. He was like, "Those videos will tour for you." Sort of yeah. thing. And I was like, "Okay." And then I found Orin You need to find that great director, and then and then you want to be an actor you have to start acting in some things.
0: Right, get yourself... That's why I think it's so it's so valuable when someone can write for themselves, too. Like, yeah. Like, I even look at Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, you know, uh, mm-hmm. they weren't... It's hard to think back to the fact that they weren't stars before they wrote Good Will Hunting. Yeah. And Sylvester Stallone wrote Rocky, and Steve Carell was an incredibly respected actor, but he wasn't a movie star till he wrote 40-Year-Old Virgin, and yeah. I think a lot of times people... Or Tina, like Tina Fey, oh, honestly, oh, you know... I, She's she's a writer first and yep. first and foremost and uh, a great performer too. But she wrote her she made her career as a writer first, and uh, I think she she deserves all the credit for that. Yeah, you know?
1: I don't see a way around it. <laughs> no, it's just it's just the way the it's the way it works. You, you need have to, to be it. able to write for yourself, and yeah. that's what improvisers are doing. Uh-huh. You think you're a good biker character? You walk out onto that stage. Maybe maybe you change when I, when I call you uh, Lucy, and, and you and you shed that uh, idea. But maybe you're coming into the scene with the idea that you're a gruff biker. You know what I mean? Right. You're feeling it out. Uh-huh, <laughs> sure. Sure. <Yeah. laughs> I want to be clear here. You're not coming on. That's bad improv. You're just going to be like, I'm a biker. <laughs> but you're coming on, you're being a, a biker. You're creating that opportunity. You've been in your shower, you've been alone in your car, and you've done a biker voice. And then you go on stage, and then you create that opportunity right there. That's why stand-ups... There's a certain amount of zen and calm that comes with people that don't have to rely on other things. You yeah. know what I mean? You get fired tomorrow. It's never going to happen. You're the greatest. You get fired tomorrow. Deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're too kind. But, like, you will go and enjoy a rewarding career as an improviser, as a performer, as an actor, all that sort of stuff. And that informs and keeps you from getting fired. Well, <laughs> well thanks, But You know, I,
0: well, I, look, at, I look at stuff like how Andy Daly does his uh, his characters, even though he's had all these great opportunities and I love his show review and everything. I love that he also goes out and just does these podcasts where he gets to just be an insane character mm. uh, for an hour with his friends. Yep. Not really thinking he's going to make any money off it. It's just a sure love of it. It's the bliss. And it shows. And when you listen to it, you're like, oh, this is someone doing exactly what they want to do. Yep. And that's a beautiful thing that I think that's one of the great things about the whole podcast Universe is like you're doing exactly the show you want to do here and on TBS, right? And that's that's great. And I think this informed
1: the the loose reins that TBS gave us it's like we're we're just doing this, and then it's like, well, they'll just keep doing that or whatever because people will do what they've seen. You do,
0: yeah, exactly. I think your show is the the most clear extension that I've seen so far of the the feeling of. That people have in a in a podcast they love yeah. uh, transferred to TV. I really mean that because it's like the fact that. Um that you just said that doesn't surprise me because that's how it reads. <laughs> that's it, my favorite it,
1: compliment. Know. I really I really appreciate that.
0: Well, it, it has that feel, you know, like you're listening in on a conversation, a real conversation. Right, you know?
1: right. It's uh, We're trying to get back to that place where, like, oversharing, especially about myself, is just so normal. I was watching a monologue where I casually referenced my wife leaving. And I was like, oh, we're getting there. I want, I, in the weirdest way, I want a large number of people who I don't know to be aware that my wife left so that we can have that shorthand the uh-huh. way that fans of this show have we're we're way ahead with the fans of this show but fans of the tv show hopefully will get there as well because that's where that's where some good stuff is
0: absolutely and it's just people i think it's it's really powerful and and so many more people relate to the real stuff yeah you know? like I, I love uh that story about from freaks and geeks where judd Avito had that scene where martin stark comes home and he's watching the a comedian on the Dinosaur shore show yeah. he comes home by himself lets himself in He's eating a bowl of cereal and laughing at a comedian. And I guess Jake and said to Apatow, uh, that's straight out of your life, isn't it? Yeah. And he said, yeah. And he goes, you could just tell it's so real and it's yep. the best thing you've ever written. Because it's straight... It, even if people don't know it really happened it reads that way and people can when you tell. pull from your real life it, it, it always has a bigger impact people
1: can tell it goes back to making love <laughs> I'm going to keep bringing it back no. to my <laughs> one analogy it's because like people your wife can tell if you're thinking about something else your wife can tell if you're doing something weird or that's not you that you're, uh-huh. that you're just manufacturing and they can tell when something is just merging beautifully and, and being real and and that's the thing that I think another thing we talked about ceremony and reverence that I think we're, we're not missing but we will always be hungry for that's one thing and the other thing is is being genuine like real stuff and you it has a ring to it you know yeah. what i mean people can hear it like a good del close impression you can hear it there's a tone to it and you go that's real you yeah. know what i mean they make that joke in the movie almost famous where she goes i'm 15 and she goes, isn't it funny that the truth just sounds different? Yeah, goes, I'm 14. Uh, so that's, they, that's it's not always. Fun. I love that movie. <laughs> isn't that great? <laughs> uh, but there's also, there's also a lot of times, especially in a performing sort of place, you either know it's real or you know it's not. And that's why I get a little upset when I see uh, truth a little bit prostituted or misrepresented. I do like absurd guys uh, and people that are telling things that aren't true. Woody Allen being one of the greats. Another hero, yeah. But Woody Allen was not going on stage and talking about... He got more autobiographical in his films. His stand-up was a lot more like, here's something that didn't happen, and I'm going to act like it did happen. Right. Uh... These days uh, th- we we are starving for it in other ways, even though reality TV and all the sort of stuff is is broadcasting and telling us that it's going to give us the real story. We've only just been fed you know something fake <laughs> and yeah. been told it was real. Now we're really craving it even more so. is somebody being authentic?
0: and I think that that was a, a very interesting evolution that Louis C.K went through too, yes. as funny as he was early on with his absurd stuff. He said that it, it took him a long time to start talking about himself and yep. his real life and his real thoughts. And uh, that's a courageous jump to make. Yep. And, uh, and it's, it resulted in all of his success. But I don't think he knew that going in. Nope. You know, I think like he had that. no other choice. Yeah, he's like, he's an artist, and he was like, I got to start. I, I'm not being fulfilled by ta- doing this absurd stuff anymore. I'm going to start talking about my kids and yeah. my wife. And yeah. my, I'm going to be honest on stage. And that takes, you know, a lot of guts, and it's obviously worked out great, but um, yeah. it took a lot of courage, you know. And,
1: it also, with the... My favorite band is The National. Matt Berninger was on the show. Yeah, great but band. But is a great band, and they talked about, um, actually... Uh, Conan likes them too I'm only saying that I hope it gets back to them I was talking to Conan and we were talking about how a lot of music sounds the same and I was like but then you find somebody like the National that sounds completely different Yeah. and he agreed with that but the National said that they were just trying to chip away as a regular band you know what I mean putting out albums I'm not talking about just open mic nights they were putting out albums they had a little following or a decent following but it's when they started putting their rejection and their pain into their music and their actual thoughts you know what I mean and you hear it you hear it and you're like yeah this guy's afraid of everyone. That's like one of their lyrics. You're like, I felt that way too. Instead of just you know whatever they were doing before that. I'm a-
0: That's one reason I've always. I mean, probably my all-time favorite bands are Replacements, and like you always got the sense that they were. The rock critic Robert Christgau said of Paul Westerberg from The Replacements, he said, "No other songwriter, he could ever think of." gives the impression of just plumbing their heart as they go along. Like, mm. this is exactly how I'm feeling right now and it's funny and this is how I'm feeling right now and it's really sad yeah. and here's one that's a mix of funny and sad and um, I think in some ways bands like that have had as big an impact on me in terms of what I love in comedy as, mm. as comedians have because interesting. that combination of funny and sad and like why I love shows like Party Down or Cheers or, you know, a lot of the shows that or Billy Wilder's movies where, you know, there's a mix because that's how life is. You know, life mm-hmm. isn't always funny or always sad. There's, it's usually a mix. I <laughs> agree.
1: I'm re-watching Scrub, uh, Scrubs. I'm rewatching Cheers. Although oh, yeah. I do think uh, Scrubs is one of that's why it came out of my brain, is one of those shows that also had some heartfelt moments. Absolutely.
0: But Cheers, I'm like, oh my God, this is like a play. It really <laughs> You know is. what I mean?
1: They're just having these real sweet moments.
0: I know when people sound, and none of the jokes sound jokey, yeah. they're, they're coming from a place where I'm like, yeah, they'd say that. Yeah. They'd say that, and it's funny, but they'd say that. That yeah. and it's it's rooted in that character and uh and the situation as mm-hmm. opposed to a lot of sitcoms where you're watching and you're like okay, I see what you're setting up with that line, but no one would ever say that. Right. right, right. No one would ever say that right. right there. And it sounds phony and you're not invested in it anymore. At right. least I'm not. I'm like, okay, I'm I'm out. I, I don't believe this sit- I don't believe what's happening here. Because no one would say that. The souls of the
1: television writers uh, that I've seen, um, and they're wonderful, and some of the funniest people I've ever known have worked on some pretty uh, critically called terrible TV shows. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) I didn't know how to say that. Uh, But then, like, you see what sells, and you see what people... Watch to a certain extent, uh-huh. um, you know. I, I, Big Bang Theory is very popular, but I think it has some good elements. I've never ever seen it actually. It I haven't really
0: watched it either.
1: I think it must have some good elements. It, <laughs> it must. It just
0: got renewed for three years. Oh, it's, did it really? Three? I've never heard of a show being renewed <laughs> three years in advance. That never happens. But I, I, uh, I know people love it. I, I, yeah. it, I, I, for all I know, it's really good. I've we'll, we'll,
1: never... we'll steer it away from shows we we don't know about is the thing that these guys that are so genius ma- end up making these shows that are all the same, very very similar, you could kind of change the parts, an episode of this show could be an episode of this show, you just need to change this guy with this guy and this person with this person and we end up kind of in this like sort of joke windmill that's just kind of coming in at, but it's a little bit of a, a methadone thing, you're not getting the real thing you're just getting something that will do right. what, what kind of broke my heart is that everybody knows that because every TV writer that I know pitched their Cheers. You know what I mean? They all had one Cheers in them.
0: Probably so, yeah. and the,
1: Or, you know, Cheers is an exceptional show, but they had the thing that they thought could be a Cheers. Right. And those things don't don't get made.
0: You or, know? or, like, a lot of times you see, you know, a lot of times, like, my favorite shows, like, Parks and Rec, which thankfully has lasted a long time, mm. has never had a huge audience, even though I think it's it's one of my favorite sitcoms I've ever seen, and the characters you know the characters are are wonderful and the the dialogue seems real for yeah. those characters and stuff but um you know it's hard for networks to take a chance on shows you know they, they they tend to go back to the like you said the stuff that they know is going to work and right. I understand that totally. You know
1: it's funny the more executives that I get to know they are people it's crazy yeah, exactly. I've always seen them as the Illuminati they're people that are trying probably resenting the idea that that I'm saying they don't make Cheers they're probably not seeing Cheers as they right. want they want to see Cheers everybody wants the same thing I
0: think. Yeah, Some of them they, want good they things. They want to be proud of the stuff they're putting on I'm yeah. Sure, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Let's bring it back to you a little I'm bit. No. <laughs> I'm going way off.
1: Don't you dare say sorry. That,
0: that, <laughs> was my, that was my tangent, that
1: I invited you along, and you delightfully yes-ended <laughs> it. You've done nothing to say sorry for. Okay. I'm wondering where your comedy uh, comes from. The reason is, going back to where we started, although that was kind of an artificial place to start, so I'm glad we're coming to it here, is Nice Guy very present guy i don't want to make you feel self-conscious like oh now i'm nice and present you're <laughs> nice and present
0: <laughs> thanks pete
1: <laughs> and that's that's an anomaly and it's not that we're saying pain uh, f- fuck pain I- i'm guessing that there might be every human being has has a nice little uh, twinge of pain in them every good artist has some of that in there any any human i think there's just an ache to existing sure, that informs sure. everything that makes your uh, hot fudge sundae taste better and makes your child being born better, makes your marriage vows better, all this sort of stuff. So pain isn't an ugly thing necessarily. So we have that. We can talk about that. But I'm interested in, are you uh, a minister of the absurd? Do you want people to lighten up? Do you want to f- change perspectives? Do you, do you want to just entertain?
0: Like, what, what is it that draws you into comedy? It's interesting because... Uh so I, I think I noticed only in looking back that a lot of my a lot of the stuff I gravitate towards writing is people that are dealing with d- dark stuff in the world mm. and trying to kind of push through it. But like like someone pointed out, most of my recurring characters hate themselves. <laughs> 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 like the interrupter, they all have these horrible <laughs> things in their lives that they're like <laughs> pushing through. Yeah, and I think that I was like, wow, that's that's probably all rooted in you know, my own insecurities and my own, and a lot of things that I think a lot of comedians, you know, like Stephen King said he would write horror stories about what scared him. Mm. And I think a lot of times I find myself writing Absolutely. stuff in comedy. That's like, Oh, this freaks me out. This is, this bothers me a lot. I'll do it as a, this silly character yeah. and kind of get it out. And, um, I think he's... so. A lot of themes like self-loathing and, uh, insecurity <laughs> and, and feeling inferior and all that stuff comes up a lot in my comedy. Yeah. Uh, because it's, I think it's, in the back of my head, that's something I've always struggled with, like a lot of comedians, you know. Mm, so, mm. so, um, but it's, in terms of, I love absurd stuff too. I love pure silliness, yeah. but I also love stuff that um, the, the stuff I admire the most. So, I think, and the stuff that I go back to the most is stuff that. Um, has that that's rooted in reality? Uh, even though a lot of stuff I've done isn't rooted in reality at all. Sure, but the stuff I tend to go back and watch a lot, like is, like
1: we were saying with Cheers,
0: yeah, Cheers or uh, Parks and Rec or shows like like Party Down or the Billy Wilder films. It's funny, or,
1: Adam Scott just did the show me, and I love Party Down. I thought it was really great, and we got to talk a little bit about it. And what I said was, "You're so he started as a straight actor, straight meaning non comedic, and uh, we talked about how that role." was kind of serious you know yeah, what I mean? like yeah. he was like a failed actor in the catering business and that made it so much funnier you know what i mean it gave it so much more
0: life it did and all those characters wanted to be doing something else yes and i think we all related to that especially when we were all doing comedy in chicago all of us had day jobs yeah you know and i look at guys like keckner you know who was working as a bartender at the otb or <laughs> friends of mine who were temps you know and you know everybody had these jobs that they were doing and uh so that's showed... in a
1: weird, uh, a worse job than he has in Anchorman 2 when he's supposed <laughs> to be at
0: the bottom <laughs> at a chicken place. He's actually in an off-track betting And place. His, his family made chicken coops in Missouri. That's no, the, really? That's what his family did. And, oh, yeah. Uh, and I think so everybody, I think we've all come out of a, like I'm always a little amazed when I meet somebody that maybe came right out of Harvard and went right onto a writing staff at a show. Yeah. Good for them and I'm happy for him. but at the same time I like... Conan. Yeah, <laughs> well, he ended up working at Wilson's House of Leather or something. Like every, he oh, had, did he? Yeah, he had some he had some crappy <laughs> jobs too. And I, I'm always amazed. I'm like, oh, they don't have any perspective on what it's like. Oh, to, sure. And I think you end up getting a lot of material out of that stuff too. Like, I think one of the reasons I always enjoyed the office is because I had worked in an office at an ad agency. Of and, course, of and course. If you've never done that, you don't understand how. Funny and petty people can be, yep. and, and also how great people can be. But it's a combination of yeah. personality types. Yeah, I've talked to people that are like, I don't, I don't, I don't relate to The Office, and I'm like, Have you ever worked in one? And <laughs> oh no. Or even you just know. waiting tables. Exactly. I it reminds me of The Office. Yeah. Just and and, and where... talked about waiting tables too. And okay. he was a terrible waiter. And, <laughs> but that gives you so much material and yeah, so much yeah, yeah, depth yeah. to your comedy. I yeah, think. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's nuts. Uh, I feel weird. I'm like, I, do, I wasn't shitting on Conan. Whenever no, no, I no. say anything negative about Conan, no. I get this weird hot flash, and I'm like, the big cheese is going to hear this? He's no, not no, going to no. like it? <laughs> no, he, he, uh, he's uh I was just reading the, the Harvard joke.
0: Oh, exactly. That's, yeah. that's more of the joke. I'm well, saying. there are guys, though, They come right out of there, and, and I'm, uh, that's great. Who wouldn't want to do that? Like, Who yeah. wouldn't want to go right into it? Right. But I'm always kind of like a little skeptical about their perspective on sure. things because I'm like well look at
1: the great comedians that, that did something else for a while you know what I mean and, yeah, and like- what, a, what a gift they have to give us uh, e- even me uh, to, to a certain extent leaving college and going right into improv you know we were always involved in comedy and aware that comedy was kind of like a job and you looked at your job as a side job there are people that had that side job but that was just their job and they they were just funny you know yeah, what I mean? And yeah. then one day they wake up and they break off. And, like, what what a gift of experience that that person has.
0: Yeah, like, I think Dangerfield, for years, sold aluminum siding or yeah, something. Sure. And, you know, yeah, sure. And I'm sure that that added a, a depth and relatability to his comedy that he might not have even been aware of. Yeah. You know?
1: And I think but. that equips you a little bit more uh, for... Being appreciating a success that you come across in comedy. If I'm going to say I'll give you $500 to do this show, it means a lot more. Like, I used to equate uh, money as tables. I've heard other comedians do that bit, by the way. I, I used to do that bit. I don't do it anymore. It was the idea that someone was like, You want to go to the movies? I'd go, That's two tables. Like turning two tables. Oh, as I a, see. As a waiter, because that was $8. Or whatever.
0: Oh, okay. So yeah. it gave
1: me that perspective. And then the first time, I think, the first show that I remember, I did a. Uh, uh, a corporate and corporates are obviously always huge huge money uh, allegedly and at that time it was a thousand dollars and it was the first time I had ever seen th- it i couldn't believe it oh I know and right. I was like I
0: can't even count how many tables <laughs> I know yeah that's your perspective <laughs> the day after though I was back waiting them tables <laughs> yeah but I know it's I know that feeling <laughs> like the first time someone gave me five dollars after a show I was just staring at it like this is weird this isn't sp- I, I was grateful, but I was like, <laughs> "They gave you a tip?" No, no, it oh. was. Uh, oh, you mean the promoter? Made a, or... Yeah, in, it was in Madison. And we had we had gotten a bigger house than usual, and they said, "Oh, y'all get a five dollars." And I was like, "Wait, I don't understand." <laughs> That's great, and but then you know you're just like, so first early on you you don't even understand the idea of being compensated yep, yep. with anything other than laughter, Yeah. Um, as corny as that sounds. That really is the feeling where you're like, "Wait, no, you don't get paid for this. You get paid at the job you hate." You yep. Know? <laughs> well you got to to the kids starting now
1: and a lot of them listen to the show and a lot of the pearls you've been giving I know they're going to love. I really do think you need to shut it out of your brain. You know what I mean? Like you just need to get it out of your brain that yeah. at some point you will be paid for it and you just have to live in a fantasy world where that doesn't even happen. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I think I think all the people I know that I really admire even though um I'm happy for a lot of them that they're doing well and everything. I don't know a single one of them that got into it. Really, primarily to make money. Like yeah, they they like people still ask Amy Poehler, you know, why do you still do ASCAT Cat? You know, she's like just kind of baffled by the question. Right. I go, I do it for the same reason I did it when I started. This is yeah. the most fun thing you can do, right? Why wouldn't I do this? Right? It's, you know, and and I think uh, so. You look at people like Amy or Tina or any of those people. They they um they never got into it. You know to make money you right know. they're uh, no they're one, obviously doing that <laughs> No one interesting loves money <laughs> yeah, they they love it it's a nice it's a great byproduct, and right. uh, I mean, I think everybody loves to to have a comfortable life sure. and, and who wouldn't want money as a bonus? but nobody i knew ever got into it for right. that reason.
1: loves money. Yeah. You
0: know what i mean like you can enjoy the, and you can love the things that money can give you
1: but i mean that like that sense of just being better than people or or rolling in super fancy shit. I just don't i don't see that as much. You see that every once in a while. Yeah, with, i mean i see people someone. that
0: that really enjoy it but like uh i also those are usually people that al- also got into it because they just love making people laugh or they right. love sure. you know whatever it is and they like um like i i i'm sure conan enjoys his house and his cars and-
1: Conan's like a different thing I'm <laughs> I'm, ta- <laughs> I'm talking about like stand up's not he's oh, such yeah, a yeah, know what you mean. such
0: an icon to me when i
1: when i see conan in a nice car it only makes me happy you know what i mean it's like please you are one of us you're like our leader. Have the car. Well you know, we all dude. know
0: he'd be doing it anyway. Yeah. Like he he would. He yeah. would be if he still was driving his Ford Taurus, which he still has by the way, his old <laughs> Ford Taurus. No way. You know, um he'd still be doing comedy. Or you look at a guy like Keith Richards, you know he'd be playing yeah. blues in some pub. Yeah. It'd be in New Orleans. Yeah. On, he'd on be working yeah. as a sheet metal worker and yeah. and playing you know he'd be doing it. They, yeah. So I think it's just all the good people I think would be doing it anyway. I completely agree. Yeah.
1: So going back to that insecurity uh, or whatever, you know what it made me think of is every sketch
0: that I write for myself, I'm being an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Well, sometimes I think, I think it's your way of processing people to act like that and how fascinating they are to you. And yes. like, how do because like Glazer, I, John Glazer plays. Hilarious assholes, yeah, and and he's not at all an asshole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think I understand that. That helps you exercise things. Yeah, that's that's what I think a lot of comedy is. That's
1: what I wrote down while you were talking. Was you're exercising your self doubt. Was that idea that you have. It, it, it remains like a cheaper fuel that you can burn to make your comedy. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Like the the good fuels might be like collaborating and uh, and fun and silliness and in sa- a safe place and all that sort of stuff. Those are your premium grades. But like one of the lower ones is like you always have it there. Like let's burn off some of this. Uh, Letterman talked about it. guilt being a big thing that drives his comedy. Guilt and, and shame and all that sort of sure. stuff something like I'm feeling if you wake me up sometimes in the in the middle of the night. I'm not often feeling it consciously, but it's somewhere in there and if we can drill down and get to it, it'll make the car run. Well, yeah, also I think
0: also too when you when you cuz you're obviously a very nice guy, I think you you probably for the same reason Andy Daly plays very dark characters that yeah. are nothing like him. Yeah. I think there's something Inherently funny, it's fun when you, yeah, you get to play someone who's completely different from you. We
1: we do one sketch called Kid Farm where I play like this conservative Christian guy who has uh, 18 kids. (laughs) It's not, I like it. I like it a lot. Don't get me wrong. But it's one of those things where I'm like, it's okay if I'm not in this a ton. I don't need – like it doesn't – I don't see myself pushing myself into the scenes or whatever. Uh, It's fine because that's me being so close to who I feel like I really am. Just like, hey, how's it going, kids? You know, just like a regular friendly guy. Uh But like if you – like the X-Men scenes where where I'm firing a different X-Men as uh, Professor X, just being a huge asshole – those shoots take forever because I won't stop riffing and all that sort of stuff because it's so interesting to be like, what would it be like to just be a complete shit? And it feels great. It kind of feels like taking a shit. You leave it and you're done, and that helps you. Instead of, like, having it calcify inside of you, comedy can be a great way to take these things, take pain, take fear, take shame, take guilt, take your ugly thoughts and, and alchemize them into something that can actually be positive.
0: Yeah, and I I know so many actors. They talk about how they love playing villains the most. Yeah, you know, it's just much more fun. Yeah, you know, playing <laughs>
1: pure playing pure a complete evil. Asshole. pure evil, pure yeah. evil. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's just a lot more fun. It's not a great role to play the nice guy that shows up to work on time.
0: You know what no, I mean? No,
1: unless you're forty years old and you're a virgin. You know what I mean? <laughs> and
0: also just the, getting to be something outside yourself, like um, like I, I'm always perfectly happy to play a guy who's kind of like me mm-hmm. but i always enjoy much more playing people that are nothing like me and so i totally understand why you'd want to play yeah
1: how do you how me. do you prepare for something like that I, I know that's kind of a typical inside the actor studio question but if you're going to do something that's not brian stack and you do this regularly and sometimes at the last minute i have to imagine <laughs> it's thrown together um the idea that uh are you are you a, a practice the voice alone guy are you mimicking things do you notice yourself mimicking things just naturally when you watch a movie taking mental notes i think a lot of it just sunk in without
0: even just through sheer exposure over the years like Mm. even when i was a kid just in terms of voices and stuff uh people sometimes like would joke especially at late night i'd be in the hallway you know kind (laughs) of doing a voice by myself yeah you're trying to uh find the voice for some characters sure but, um, yeah, sometimes it's just based on some movie character you liked or or uh just a character type you yep. noticed in films or or t v and um yeah, it's not very method or anything yeah. in terms of me, It's more like just finding a voice you heard twenty years ago or something, yeah. or, you
1: know? categorizing it, yeah, it's all there for you. I think it's interesting that like the more acting i'm doing i you know i don't think I'm phenomenal or anything, but I'm like, no, that's acting, i'm acting like right. I'm responding and. I, I watch enough movies and T V that I hope I can identify bad acting if I'm like, Well that's garbage. Uh, but, like, that is just letting things in. Yeah. Again, going back to what we said earlier is the idea that an artist's job is to is to be the witness of things. You know what right. I mean? Like, if you really calm down and look at this room, something that somebody drawing this room, what you would do is, you, you have a physical two-dimensional proof that you paid very close attention to every element of this room. But really the same uh, type of presence could be achieved just by sitting still and really observing the room. But this room, if we sat quietly and just looked at it for 20 minutes would look very differently than the way it does now. Yeah, absolutely. And you let that stuff in, and suddenly you're better at doing an impression of a person because your your mind is open to that sort of impetus.
0: I, I totally agree. And I, I look at at some people that... Um, like, I watch how Fr- Fred Armisen or uh, Kristen Wiig basically submerge in their characters, yeah. you know, too. And that, I think that's really interesting because they, they actually... Really seem to transform. Yep. And other people, it's a little more like sometimes with me, I'll watch some of my stuff and I'm like, oh, I like this. This is a funny voice, but I didn't transform into this guy the way I saw right. Fred do. And right, 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 right. They just become these people, and I think that's what you're always shooting for is yeah. to try to be something close to that. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. Like Peter Sellers, you know, and there are a lot of times, you know, Peter Sellers, they said, never even had a recognizable personality of his own, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I guess they call that a fictive personality where. Even the people closest to him can't say. They can't really describe one defining personality that's he has. so wild. So I think there's some people that are just. They, they have to do that because that's. They,
1: oh, I'm th- supposed to have one of these all the time? Yeah. This will be my all the time one. Yeah. It's kind of what we're all doing. We're all playing a little bit of a character, but we're all just a little bit better at being that kind of crazy and he was worse and a different kind of crazy.
0: Yeah, I think we're all kind of <laughs> on that same spectrum because, like, Conan actually often jokes in the office, he goes, "Stack, have your kids ever heard your real voice? <laughs> 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 and, um, you know, they, they probably wouldn't recognize it uh, because you, you, you just hide behind these characters and uh, it's kind of true, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's how you are with them? I, I've just, I, I'm myself at home for the most part, but I think I've always gravitated towards characters because it is a kind of you are kind of hiding, you know, you're yeah. sort of like, submitting to you know, yourself.
1: I don't think Conor would remind me, saying one of his administrative techniques is doing characters. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And, and
1: that's something that I learned from him, was that at some point, if you have to be the boss man, you kind of do boss man character, because <laughs> you don't know what you're doing. Um, right. I'm speaking for myself. So I'll be some sort of thing that's like, whatever, the, I, I, whatever you need to be, you do some sort of exaggerated version of it, and then that
0: becomes okay, and becomes funny. Yeah, and you you are playing a role, sort of, when you are the boss or whatever. Yeah, or like my friend, uh, <laughs> my friend Betty Cahill, you know, who is, said when she was auditioning for SNL, Phil Hartman was coming around, kind of mentoring the new auditioners and stuff. Yeah, and she said, she said, can you give me one piece of advice? You know, if you were doing an audition right now, is there a, and he said, um, he said, use all your acting skills to act like you aren't nervous. Oh wow! He said, we're all scared shitless, and it's part of our job to pretend that we aren't. That's great. And I remember thinking, oh yeah, you're kind of putting on a character of a person who isn't nervous. Yep. He goes because you think you're going to go out there and be nervous, and everybody's going to be like, oh, it's so cute. He's so nervous. He goes, no, the opposite. They want you to be comfortable. Yep. Otherwise, you're going to make them uncomfortable. So just summon up every skill you have to look like you aren't scared. Yeah. And uh, I think that's what a lot of us are doing. Yeah. You know? Like you look at, or you know, you look at Johnny Carson, and from what I hear, he was very different off. Yeah, off camera Nervous. much more quiet or Steve Martin Yeah, I remember seeing him in the hall at late night and um, I was like oh I, I don't want to bother him but I just gotta say, give a quick thank you you know for yeah. uh, him being so inspiring and stuff and he was very nice he was very gracious and pleasant but he was almost like an art professor you know he was like there's nothing wacky about him yeah he was very he said oh thank you very much thank you and uh
1: copies of the new yorker spilling out of his coat sleeve (laughs) yeah it's like picasso (laughs)
0: plays and stuff and uh he was um he was and there's it doesn't mean that there's anything phony about what he does on stage or in his films it's just he's kind of playing a character too It's, it's his showbiz character right and off screen he doesn't um John Cleese said a lot of the great clowns are fundamentally serious people. Mm. You know, uh, you know when you meet them, they're they're uh, analytical about comedy. Well, you've separated and
1: they, you know. the oil and the water, yeah, and, and you do that over your career, and you're like, well, this is the oil, and like I've spent so time so long identifying what it means to be silly that like I don't necessarily need to do it at the dinner table, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah.
0: and I could see why they they would. I you do meet some people that seem. Like I got, when I would see in the hallway, I, I think Jim Carrey and Robin Williams are a little more. Um, that's why it was interesting when I heard Robin Williams on WTF, mm. where he was much more kind of quiet and introspective. Yeah. And yeah, but some of those guys are a little more on than other people, even when they're off stage. You know, mm-hmm. like they they seem. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just I find that interesting. Usually, it used to surprise me when I would find out comedians weren't. Wacky off stage, yeah, and now it kind of surprises me when they are, but know?
1: it's so yeah, but it, 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 I was just gonna say it's so off putting when they're always on, but then you hear stories about Chris Farley, and you're
0: just happy he he was uh I think he this uh, one thing that's a little bit it's wonderful, but it's also sad in a way that I think he only thought people would like him if he was being funny, oh uh, because okay. I think he thought that gives me my right to be in the room. Oh, interesting. You know, that was always the impression I got from him, because he felt like, well, I'm here because I'm making people laugh. Mm. And if I wasn't making them laugh, why would they want to hang out with me? That's interesting. I think that was where, I, I'm not absolutely sure about that, but that was always the impression I got. That sounds right, you know? based on the, the,
1: the what was the Farley book? I have well, to imagine you were in it. Yeah, the Chris Farley show.
0: I was actually, just yeah. in some of the early parts where they were talking about Madison and... Um, but uh he was a very multifaceted you know guy and but <laughs> but fundamentally i think he like a lot of comedians felt like the laughter was uh something he he desperately needed to get to validate his his self worth, you mm-hmm. know, and to feel uh, like he belonged, you know, mm-hmm. and um, so funny. It, it's so true of so many comedians I know. I
1: you know? know. I sometimes I just feel like you know those movies where the twist, like uh, I, it was a John Cusack movie, where the twist is like everyone you've seen is actually just part of one one psyche. I don't. Oh, identity. Yeah, identity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I feel about so many people that I meet. Uh, oh, when yeah, When you hear absolutely. a story about a Chris Farley, you're like, yeah, that's me, and and you're me, and you know what I mean. I, I'm not even trying to be New Agey, but I'm just kind of like, oh, we all belong to each other, and we're all just exaggerations of different parts of the tapestry that is our our my consciousness, your consciousness, our identity. I shouldn't have said consciousness. <laughs> that's
0: how I think. I think people are so complex, <laughs> and I, I think that's a really good. A way of putting it, because I think it's uh, at least in my experience. That's one of the reasons I, I really love hearing interviews that you do, because like you, you get into that stuff and people reveal sides to themselves right. that you'd never normally know from their work. That's
1: you know? right. Well, that that is the big. That's the big selling point. You want to talk about doing the show that I want to do? I was like, when John Hamm comes on the show, I want to ask John Hamm what he believes, and that's actually where where I was taking it so perfectly. Sure. Where Where did you grow up religious? Did you grow up? Uh, Feeling things, believing things.
0: You know, I was raised—I was raised Irish Catholic, but I've always—I've always, I've always kind of had a, more of the "I don't know" mentality about yeah. things. Like I've been like, I think culturally, I'm definitely an Irish Catholic in terms of the guilt and the <laughs> repression, yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure, and the drinking and all that stuff. <laughs> but uh, but the uh, <laughs> but when it comes down to um, I, like, I I kind of feel like I just heard Louis C.K. do a routine about this. He's like. I don't think the atheists have anything on anybody else either. I, I, it's like, how can you know there's nothing? Right. You know, but I'm like, I, I, I also feel like, how can you know there's something, you know, like I'm kind of like, um, it's, I think to represent my atheist yeah. friends, cause
1: I've gotten so many emails, they would say, a a a an Gnostic. Ag- Agnostic. No, it's something. I think it's a Gnostic atheist. Sometimes I lose the terminology. Okay. They, they say their belief is that the evidence points to no God. And then yeah. they would say the burden of evidence is on the theist.
0: I, I think that's a logical argument. Um, I I think I like to think that there's, you know, real kind of spiritual basis for everything and all that. Uh, I don't know if there is. I think sometimes I I, I honestly sometimes just you do. don't. Sometimes know. you don't. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a, there's an Iris DeMent song called "Let the Mystery Be," which kind of says it all. Like hmm. in terms of the way I look at it, like I'm just like that whole thing of nobody knows. Nobody really knows. Yep. So let's just kind of roll with that and just kind of say like and go with your instincts. Go because it, it seems to me like
1: love, peace, grace, redemption, forgiveness, loveliness, curiosity, yeah. generosity, patience.
0: Yeah, being a good person because it's just good to be a good person instead of thinking you're just going to get some big reward at the end. Yeah, <laughs>
1: like fuck like
0: that. Yeah, just be just be a uh, the, the whole idea of just. Um, not expecting or knowing anything but being yeah. okay with that and just like right. it's like at the end of uh i think it was hand and her sisters where Woody he like he's watching the marx brothers movie i was just given that
1: movie for my birthday oh it's great but i I've love how
0: well he's he's trying to find all this meaning in the world and he's trying to find what religious uh you know he's trying he goes thinking about doing the Hare krishnas and then he thinks about converting to catholicism and also and then he's he's sitting there in a marx brothers movie in the afternoon and he's just laughing and he's thinking why am I looking for answers? I'm never going to get. Mm. Can't you just enjoy life? And this, these guys are really funny, and they're making me laugh. Mm-hmm. And life can be pretty great, even if you're never going to get any answers. <laughs> you know, it yeah. can be pretty great even without answers. You know. Yeah. And I think that, that uh, that's always stuck with me.
1: You know what's you know? interesting when I hear you say that, though. Uh, it, where I'm at for me is I'm not really looking for answers so much as as speaking of the Hare Krishnas, who are so much about experiencing. Uh, God, experiencing some sort of oneness. I think we can be content, something we say on the show all the time, I forget the uh, genesis of the quote is, we're just dogs trying to understand the internet. You can't explain explain Wi-Fi to a golden retriever. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Great. And I think there's a Zen there. But that closeness to God or to transcendence or to something that uh, is beyond our reason and beyond our ration and beyond our our words even. You you have children and all that sort of stuff. I'm sure you've had countless experiences like that. The feeling of being in love, the feeling of uh, of of you know a beautiful the first day of spring. You know, I I remember yeah. walking out of my dorm and realizing it was spring. There was a way that you just couldn't really articulate that, even though you know certain things were happening. I think that is that's what keeps me on the path of being like there are ways. To, as I was saying about this room, we could sketch this room and have a more intimate relationship with it. And what do I mean by it? I mean with with God, for lack of a better term, with uh-huh. being. So that's what keeps me, I, I hear what you're saying completely. And I wonder, are you experiencing anything that feels beyond your rationale? Are you feeling things or the things? I'm not looking for serendipity stories. I just mean like, is there a hum beneath your brain.
0: I think there is. I don't know always how to put it into words, but I do feel. I do feel like there's there's more going on than just you know the mundane day to day life. I, I do think there is a kind of spirituality in the world, even though I don't have any answers about yeah. what comes next or why we're here or anything <laughs> like that. As much as I'd like to have the answers, I uh, I think I'm okay with not having the answers. Um, and I'm kind of coming to terms with the fact that I may never get any. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I think there's like I, I've known, and also like a lot of times those moments you have that are as corny as it sounds, like that feel almost quasi-religious when you're like you're on stage with a bunch of people and you're totally connected mm. in a way religious people describe religious connection or yep. to connection to a god or something. Group and mind, and you feel you feel that connection as strongly as they they describe their religious connection. And mm-hmm. so I know exactly what that feeling can be like. Yep. yep. So, so I know it's there. I know it's part of the world and, uh, you know, I, I may experience it differently than people who are deeply religious. Right. Uh, but but that's, I know it's that's there. church.
1: I've had church improv sets. Oh yeah. <laughs> I've had yeah. church standup sets. I'm sure that yeah. goes back to the nail in the potato is like when there is that merging of thought and audience and everything becoming one, and time slowing down, that is transcendence. That is uh, seeing the world for as amazing as it actually is. Seeing our existence to be as amazing as it actually is. And I yeah. think that's, I think that's uh, some
0: being. I think that's some God stuff. I think there is too. And like, sometimes I'll find it in music, like a, I'll hear a song like Van Morrison's "Astral Weeks, you know, which is might be my all-time favorite song. And it feels as <laughs> close to what people, it feels like a, almost like a religious song yep, yep. even though there's nothing overtly religious about it it's it's uh it's an extremely spiritual song you know and, yep. and uh you know so i think um and i think uh, like you you feel a connection whether it's with the audience or with your fellow performers that that is you can't really call it anything but spiritual you yeah know, when no. it's really strong and you don't take it for granted because it doesn't happen all the time when it happens, you know it's real, and you right. know it's there. You know that's
1: exactly right. That goes back to the love making thing. The audiences are great. The writers' room was great. Is that a ninety? I feel. I feel like we're doing it. I get. A li- <laughs> I get a light at ninety, but oh, really, okay. <laughs> the episode. The episode's done when we feel it's done. I feel. I. I feel like we're. We're, we're, we're landing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whatever, whatever you say. No, I, I. I believe you and your wonderfulness will go however long we want. But I feel like this one's good. But. uh... What was I saying? Ah, It doesn't matter. That idea that spirituality can be experienced in things that have nothing to... I bet scientists, hardcore atheist scientists, have a beautiful communal feeling that is tingling up their spines as they're discovering things and discussing things and theorizing things. You know, string theorists, for sure. Like, weird guys discussing what reality is, Sure, I'm sure, are having the same, a very similar brainwave experience as the guy that's weeping and and crossing himself on his knees.
0: Absolutely or you watch a show like Cosmos or something and you're like you there is a connection you can feel with the universe even if you don't know what yeah. what created it or yeah. if there was ever an origin to it or it's whatever. It's all
1: water. Yeah. It's it's yeah. all water, it's all car, it's all the same stuff. Like it's it's just so crazy to me to consider that, that's something that I meditate on all the time is that like you're mostly water seventy to ninety percent water i 'm seventy to ninety percent water. we know water responds to different things in different ways i'm not talking about we don 't necessarily need to believe in the people that believe if you tell water, thank you or I love you that it responds because that, that you know the jury's out on that one, but we do know that things like plants respond to classical music and that and that we respond to classical music and we're water I know we have central nervous systems it's a little bit different, but so do plants but anyway what i 'm saying is I can get into that thing. You can get into that thing. It it doesn't have to be fancy. I always think of the Buddha. All he did to meditate was I breathe in, I breathe out. He just he f- focused on the being and the releasing and, and the li- the living. Why did I lose my mic? Oh, that's you.
0: Oh, that's okay. I just want to
1: make sure I, we didn't lose power. Uh, no, you're fine. Please. Oh, okay. I, didn't know if keep, I pulled it out. <laughs> keep a keep a fidget in. Keep a fidget in. Uh, but it doesn't have to be fancy. If you want to feel connected with the universe. Try, and I think you'll be. I think you'll be closer to doing it, and I lo- that's fine.
0: Am I still on? <laughs> can you hear you? I can. Oh, okay. I think. Yeah. I think. Yeah. 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 You're sorry.
1: Good. <laughs> no, you didn't. Okay. I,
0: think, I say sorry a lot. My you wife did. gets on me about it. Yeah, and rightfully so. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd be right to do it's it. Annoying. It's annoying.
1: <laughs> it's not annoying. It made, uh, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things that you might not be sure. I'm sure you're, you're a grown man and you've thought about this. The way it makes me feel is that I've upset you. <laughs> not, Isn't that weird? Yeah, I, like, I think, oh, I made you feel unwelcome or, or not appreciated? Well, that, not at all. I I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're here to learn. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I feel like you'd be a great guy to do something silly with. Um, we should. And we had such a great comedy talk and a great God talk. Do you, did you get all your God stuff out?
0: Oh yes, absolutely. I you didn't feel, even know I had any God stuff, but I feel like I got it out if it was there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we can you can you can we sing to a song we've never heard? We haven't done that in such a long time. Would you mind doing that, Brian? Sure. It's not an improv game. It's not like a rhyming exercise or anything that you need to feel nervous about. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? That sort of like, we're going to freestyle rap. It's not that. <laughs> we're going to play a song. Oh, let's do Beyonce. Do you know any Beyonce? Uh, only like... Single ladies? Yeah. Yeah, I it's not going to be like that. The big Let's one. do Love on Top. Okay, I don't well, know that one. Here. A, a plug right there. Which one? I don't know any Beyonce either. It happened to be open because... Uh, a lovely friend of mine wanted to listen to some Beyonce. Um, here we go. So let's. It has to be kind of slow. Oh, this is good. Yeah, this is good. So neither of us have heard the song, <laughs> and we're just gonna sing to it. Would you like me to go first? It's sure. just silliness. Bring the beat
0: in.
1: Oh. All right, man. <laughs> yep. Money. I can, I can feel the stars light wavy, yeah. Can't, Can't see, see me another, me. another whole world and <laughs> so else is me. me. Every if time I get me, me I, I feel, me feel me a little me. bit. <laughs> She's saying words? I think <laughs> she is. This top.
0: Love, this love on top, you put my, love on top. my love on top. Love on top. Love on top. Oh, <laughs> love on top. Oh, this is a long oh, ass on top. You put my, love love, my love on top. top. Oh, love on top. I can Mooning. Mooning. I can hear you. Hey, Mooning. <laughs> 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 Your lips so good It's a As I kiss you again and again and again and again and again and again I'm not yeah. right. your body isn't there Cause I feel yes. Your body isn't there? Your body isn't there <laughs> It's been removed for, for medical research
1: Is. To your body? wet your body go? It
0: was eaten by raccoons. It was never in the woods. Forensic science, this should be a challenge for any of the experts that arrive to find forensic evidence. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You're gonna have to wrangle 35 raccoons. <laughs>
0: Tiny little pieces <laughs> of evidence. He'd tiny probably, little... <laughs> and you probably have to sedate them and look through their stomach contents <laughs> for human remains. No. Peter's gonna be all over your ass. Peter's gonna be all over your ass. It's you. Yeah! Oh, it modulates. <laughs> Me, you. <laughs> yeah! God, you're, what you're the only one I see because you're the only one. On that, oh, you. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Without a body, it will be difficult to prosecute the person that's accused of killing you. Yeah. The perfect murder! Yeah. <laughs> corpus it's a legal hurdle you're gonna have to get over the burden of proof is on the prosecution without a body it's difficult to get a
1: conviction your honor I'd like to call to the stand 35
0: raccoons (laughs) (laughs) you're in contempt (laughs) <laughs>
1: we did it. That
0: was actually a good song. I don't I'm so out of it when it comes to pop music. Oh, I
1: know. I know. That it reminded me of like a Stevie Wonder Jackson 5 in a, it like that good
0: way. Yeah, it had that that was actually <laughs> no bad Quality way, quality pop. Well done, Yant. Thanks, man. Surfboard. I last slipped into my old jazz. Boat. <laughs> I know I did. In a, yeah, I was hiding it. Cuz it was again. the best. <laughs> Thanks, man. Cuz it was the best. It just seemed inappropriate. <laughs> I, went with I go i go where, where That's uh, two voices what's your favorite voice that's <laughs> your old oh, jazz voice yeah for some reason i i've always <laughs> i just like want- pretending to be cool guys because I've never been <laughs> cool man yeah I'm just chewing on a matchstick that I ain't gonna <laughs> lie that's what i I'm, i think I'm always most fascinated by people that are really cool because i've n- i've never had the even an ounce of coolness. oh yeah so I'm always drawn to like I'll watch like lightning hopkins on. On YouTube or something And he's like This is a song about a name I'm like I don't know what he's saying <laughs> he, sounds, he sounds cool When he's uh, saying anything you, know? you
1: ever drop a wrench In a lake Hit it
0: <laughs> <laughs> Oh John Glazer told me once He saw Sonny Rollins At Lincoln Center And he said The only thing he said The whole show Was right before He started playing He goes You people stop Messing up the oceans whip <laughs> That's all he said That's the only thing He said the whole That's show That's a message You people stop Messing up the oceans whip whip with a Stop p- goes right messing into his... up the oceans. That was the only thing he said the whole night.
1: Every night he just shakes an <laughs> eight ball of Sonny Rollins' yeah. expressions. Denied its oceans. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, like,
0: yeah, just, I'm always just fascinated by cool people like that. I'm like, I don't know what they're doing. What's the secret? They say the same words we do. But it just comes out better. <laughs> yeah. Trust me, you don't want to go in there. Or like Keith Richards, you know, yeah. like you just listen to him talk, and you're like, okay, you're the officially the coolest yeah. man ever, and he probably thinks he's a dork, but uh, like Ryan Gosling, yeah, he just does everything that they too.
1: say is just everything I say is just like a cool thing I say.
0: You'll hang on the next word,
1: yeah. You think <laughs> I'm just saying an ordinary thing, but really I'm being <laughs> quite cool. I
0: know. And I'm like, I don't know what the just sh- teach a seminar, I'll take. Ah, it. <laughs> you know I prefer French toast crunch. <laughs> that, yeah, like that. Even that sounds cool. I know if Keith Richards said that, I'd be like, "Really? I gotta have to try some of that." Yeah. <laughs> well, I love it. Well,
1: at the end of the episode, uh, the guest says, "Keep it crispy." We can say "Keep it crispy" in uh, lots of different voices. you be like, "You got an old prospector in there?"
0: Oh, keep it crispy! <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. We're
1: grilling up some bacon. Going to stake my claim. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, uh, I did a prospector once when when Marin was on late night, and I was coming off. Uh, I don't know him at all, but I was coming up, and he goes, "That was committed." <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was like, well, that, that's
0: nice to hear. At least I don't think he thought it was funny, but it was. I, I gave him my. All. Uh, Do we got a pirate? I don't know.
1: Arrgh. keep it crispy. <laughs>
0: Argue. <laughs> yeah, you got, they gotta say arg.
1: Canadian, they have to say "a."
0: well oh, uh, keep it crispy eh <laughs> i love hearing like john daly do and curl and those guys they get they do perfect canadian accent oh sure on, uh, oh North yeah ontario yeah yeah but, um yeah that's a that's a tough one because sorry a lot, yeah they say a boat that's I'm, about i don't the know only... about i don't know what you're sorry about brilliant <laughs>
1: that's exactly i keep a, saying sorry
0: yeah like, i don't know, and a lot good. of the people i know from like toronto unless they say the outwards i don't i would just assume they were american sure sure, like, sure will arnett sure. or those guys you know yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. but um, there's nothing particularly
1: what's your touchdown for irish
0: do you have one? I, I, uh, I usually end up going back to the uh, sort of the quiet man type, you know, the old timey, I shall arise and go to free. You know, that kind of like old William Butler Yeats recording that my grandparents would play. Uh, <laughs> great. My grandparents were from Ireland and they would eat my eat of his pipe and he'd be like, well, the thing about the famine was. And I'm like, you didn't live through the famine. But um, they would tell you all about it anyway. No, they were wonderful people. but uh, great. <laughs> oh, Ireland. Ireland, yeah, ish. Ireland. Um, my wife's family's from Ireland too, from so Oyer- I get a lot of uh, oh really? practice just listening to them. You got any <laughs> uh, gingers in the fam? My sister's a, a ginger, but um, <laughs> everyone else in our my parents have uh, brown hair. My kids have brown hair. Wow! So it's uh, I think it skips a generation. Still got that Beyonce song kind of going in the back of my brain. Yeah, I and the raccoons it. and.
1: Ow! <laughs> <laughs> you ain't got nobody.
0: You gotta get falsetto there. It's not bad. <laughs> I can get
1: up there high. It's weird to agree, but some days your throat has it, and other days you're just like, I can't. I can't yeah, I have a hard
0: time. Even though I have a naturally high voice, I have a hard time going high singing. I can much more easily go real low, real low. But high, yeah, that's that's impressive. I bet you could do. Could you do a
1: Morgan Freeman?
0: <laughs> not really.
1: I I, I don't it's think more, so. It's more in my experience. Andy Dufresne. That's really good. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> no, I only say it not to show off mine, but I bet you could do it.
0: I don't think I could. uh yeah, he's not one I have in my head, I don't mm. think. I've done, um, yeah, I've I only done a couple of celebrity things. I, I used to do Sean Connery a lot. Like, oh, there you go. Yes, Pete Holmes is quite a character. You know, uh, <laughs> Michael Caine, yeah. Oh, it's would, I would, I would, oh, oh. like Man Who Would Be Kings one of my favorite movies because there's both of them in it. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about Pete Holmes is that you've got to listen to his podcast. It's the finest podcast I've ever listened to. It's basically just a generic cockney. I'm so I used to do it better. No, that was great. <laughs> you list it. I can't do it. It's just basically very cockney, you know. Right. Like, uh, it, it's working class. Yeah, that's my yeah. boy. Alfred,
1: um, Alfred. I'm trying to do uh, Christian Bale so I can say.
0: Mr. Wayne. Yeah. yeah like that. Oh. Well, I'm just st- doing a surfer boy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wait, I can do Christian Bale having his meltdown because he goes... Oh, good for you! That's how he sounds when he's yelling. And how was it? That's how he sounds when
0: he's yelling. I I think I'm the only person that didn't hear that tape.
1: Still great fun. I haven't heard it. uh, I don't even know if I heard it when it came out, but we were playing it on the set of uh, shooting a sketch, and I couldn't stop going, Oh, good for you! Do I go around McGee with this amateur it was so fun. Oh, was McG? Uh, McG was the uh, director. I believe. oh, okay. Who, who? What do you know? McG is.
0: I I, I know him from credits. Like on uh, a friend of mine was on that show Supernatural, and uh. I think McG must be a producer on that show or something. <clears throat> I've always been curious about that name and who he was. Yeah, I'm like that's that's an interesting. Tell- Terminator
1: Salvation. Oh, oh, he
0: did that too. That was where the meltdown was. Yeah, I don't know anything about him other than that's a very interesting, memorable name. Oh, good for you! (laughs) (laughs) How was it? I love. Yeah, when now with the internet, everything's so widespread. But I remember years ago, people would have to pass around tapes of like Buddy Rich screaming at his band, or Uh, or Orson Welles melting down during his Palmasan recording. For
1: better and for worse, (laughs) things can spread like wildfire. Yeah, now it's everywhere. Well, this was awesome.
0: Thanks, Pete. Thanks for having me. I
1: I was so excited that you uh, took the time, and I was looking forward to it, and it did not disappoint. It was wonderful to talk to you. Would you say Keep It Crispy as Michael Caine to to wrap it up?
0: Keep it crispy. (laughs) 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 That's a a good crispy. Thanks. It was... Thanks for having me, Pete. It was you really fun. Congratulations on the show. And oh, everything thanks, else. man. Well, I'll, great see, job, I'll man. see you over there. It's a, it's a privilege. Thanks, man. I'm, yeah. I'm happy for you. Thanks. You know, buddy. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. You were in the pilot. We didn't even cover oh, that. That's right. One of the reasons we, we got picked You played my therapist. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. right. That was, that was when we realized I didn't want to do stuff where someone was pretending to be someone else. Not. I loved your performance, but there was a bunch of that. There were people pretending to be my parents, there were people pretending oh, to be yeah. my therapist. And I was like, I don't think we can do that. I think, because it made me feel weird. Did,
0: did you ever bring back a version of that with, with Jamie? Because I thought that was a really interesting conversation. You the guys Jamie, were, the, what was that? Where, where I was a therapist and, oh, it was when uh, you and Jamie were talking about oh, how like, we, real life stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That was the live version. That was okay. I, oh, I felt okay. like, as long as, they, as long as they know we're not trying to trick them. Oh, I'm I see. okay with it and yeah, when it was yeah. on stage it felt so much more fake and of course everybody recognizes you and, and it makes it it makes it more better oh. more better makes more <laughs> well
0: better. it was fun it was fun I'm, I'm happy for you congratulations thanks, again
1: I'm so I'm so thrilled to use it thank you so much and thanks for doing it thanks man it was keep fun keep it crispy
0: keep it, keep it crispy <laughs> <laughs> thanks <great>. Pete <laughs> thank you that was great man. that was really fun thanks man oh yeah that, that was, was awesome really I'm so crispy I'm so crispy my ice